I mean, what's Pro Football Focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. It's a beautiful Monday morning. It's it also hashtag Mock Draft Monday. So we're going through my Mock Draft, Sam. It's you. Your turn. You're up. We appreciate everybody. We appreciate all of our new listeners. There's, there's thousands and millions of you, both of those. Uh, you guys have been sending us screenshots of the daily, your subscription to the daily, your subscription to the PFF NFL Podcast. Uh, we'll pull another winner just live here on the show. Another winner for Edge annual we had one on friday we still have to send that out but it's going to happen so send us those screenshots we appreciate you guys uh, we're going to go through my mock draft today my mock draft what i would do in the nfl draft did you stick to that consistently or did you do what i did which is you reached a pick where you're like it would just be kind of funny if the team did this so let's roll with that i think i stuck with it consistently but okay. there were a couple times uh, and i mentioned this on the pff nfl daily on the daily today you may have already listened. You may have already gotten some insight wow. on what Sam thinks about the draft because we, we went through Sam's favorite and least favorite picks of the draft. And there was definitely a couple points where I, as the GM of certain teams, I was angry at their previous moves mm. where I felt like it forced my hand into certain moves that they just had to make. But there was never a point where I was like, hey, like you did, the Raiders would do this or the Chiefs would do okay. this, um, I think. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see as we go back through and, and go through my thought process. So... We appreciate everybody for being here. Let's go through my mock draft. Well, let's do that after we tell people that right now, if you go to pff.com, you get 30% off any subscription with the promo code DRAFT30. Oh, yes. So, yeah, a lot of people have been waiting for this. Mm. So, DRAFT30, DRAFT30, 30% off any PFF subscription. Uh, my suggestion, I have two suggestions here. First off, I would get Elite because it's elite it's because if you if you play it's in the name yeah, right because if you play any <laughs> level of fantasy you're going to be wishing you had elite come june july august okay so think about where you're going to be in a couple months the benefit to signing up now i keep saying is that year's worth of access right and when you sign up for edge or elite you get the draft guide and when you sign up today you're going to have your subscription until april 19th 2022 which means you probably get next year's draft guide as well. So if you're just in it for the draft, you might as well sign up and get the 30% off. If you're in it for the long haul and you want premium stats and you want fantasy and the whole deal, just get elite and you'll have that for the entire year as well. So draft 30, 30% off any PFF subscription at pff.com. There you go. All right, you ready to go? Yeah. My <clears throat> mock draft. By the way, any picks I don't like, I'm gonna start referring to you uh, like the Pittsburgh people, Steve Peluso. <sighs> the people the people in Pittsburgh are not happy. No. Or at least the guy. Well, they set up a whole like segment around crapping on you. That's yeah. that's kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mentioned this on the show last week. My Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh radio hosts uh, on the fan, 
they try to take you know sit on the fence steve and turn me into hot take steve yeah and and they just they kind of they dragged they the it. worst out of me yeah and i was basically like don't draft a running back you'll be drafted in the top 10 running backs are the worst for a guy who like clings to that center post of the fence you know like the way you do to get that quote out of you that they used which is if you draft a running back in the first round you will have a top 10 pick next year to spend on a quarterback because running backs don't help winning games that's like that's a leap right off the fence on the one side i was just trying to show my range i'm just that's is what it, you know i could do anything to we, be honest that i, I think to be? i think that's impressive from their point of view right like oh, the, that, that, yeah. they managed to get you to leap that far over the fence yeah. impre- that's like quality interviewing we so can't do that they, they we're just they, sitting here like getting you know kurt warner repeat back to us what we've said it's, they managed to get out of you this like complete departure from your usual we should, baseline. We should learn about their interview, their interview skills, because they lure me in with like these <laughs> non-football discussions, and we get into it. They, they talk a lot of baseball. There you that's, go. That's See? one way to uh, lull you, know, you into a false sense of security. Yes. and then Bam! Hit you with the running back. It thing. appeases to my e- you know, my ego when they ask me baseball questions. Of course, right? And then I'm more willing to. Open they don't up. bring up the fact that you went undrafted for four different three four, times, three times in across a four-year period. I was undrafted forty-five hundred times. Wow, that's a lot of time. Fifteen hundred picks times three. Yeah, they're cutting down the draft though. So imagine these days, how many? You know, I wouldn't be passed over as much. Yeah. After they cut all these rounds. All right, we got a ton of people on the YouTube channel. Let's do it. We're live on YouTube. We appreciate everybody tuning in live. You and I were drafted the same number of times in baseball. Stop it. <laughs> Stop. I have. I have a baseball <laughs> reference page that has numbers on it. You do yeah, not. I don't. I don't. No. Okay. I could probably make one. We're yeah. Even our podcast meme guy, everybody was like, oh, Steve's going to make some obscure baseball yeah. reference and connect Devontae Maybe Smith Maybe he can make him. one for me. He can make me a pro, fo- a pro baseball reference page. And it could have not draft, Wikipedia. draft position. It would have us both in the same. Stop. Undrafted or whatever they put. N.A. <sighs> My mock draft looks exactly like <laughs> the beginning of your mock draft. Is this unexciting? Trevor Lawrence yeah. to the Jaguars. Zach Wilson to the Jets. Justin Fields to the 49ers. Right. And Kyle Pitts to the Falcons. So I was thinking about this earlier. Has the Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson thing just been allowed to get etched in the stone too easily? Should there have been more discussion about the top quarterbacks in this draft as opposed to just Trevor Lawrence is number one, he's generational, the Jags are taking him, let's move on? Maybe there should have been some discussion because there are... Because it was a brief period of it where like the Chris Sims of the world, and by that I mean like people whose jobs aren't on the line, made a, a, a brief push to be like Zach Wilson's number one. Like he has the higher upside, his arm talent is special, he is special in a way that Trevor Lawrence isn't. Zach Wilson is the number one quarterback. And then there was a sort of brief flurry of, wow, that's crazy, and then on we move. That was it though. And then like you go back a year and it was, you know, a few people saying, hey, I don't sleep on the idea that Justin Fields could be the number one pick. And then, I don't know, something in this year happened and people dumped that idea. But in the space of like a year plus, there's been four days total of conversation of somebody other than Trevor Lawrence being number one. I don't think it's that crazy, but I think your point is fair, especially in a, in a world of there's so many takes out there. There are going to be ones that are, you know, yeah. against the grain. And, and particularly, even if you're locked into the idea of Lawrence at number one, and I think there's a good... I mean, obviously, there's a good there's a good case that it should be. The dude has been like anointed the number one overall pick in perpetuity, and the only real rivals to him have been knocked down at some point or other. But given the second part of what I was saying, that a year ago there were people saying Fields 
could be number one, could jump up over Trevor Lawrence. Does that therefore may mean there should be more of a discussion about Fields over Wilson at number two? Because he was the presumptive number two for uh, most of this time, and then Wilson comes out of nowhere, has this incredible season, much like Joe Burrow did the year before. But the difference between the two is that Wilson did it, you know, at BYU with an awful lot of help and didn't really face that many people of, you know, consequence. So we have we jumped him too far or without uh, jumped him without enough discussion about it over fields? Uh, that one I'm more likely to say, yeah, there should have been some fields Wilson discussion. My, my assumption here is that there's enough buzz within both organizations Jaguars Jets and coming out of there that it's like all right we know we know it's Lawrence and we know it's Wilson there was a point but in this my is, offseason this is you now so this is the thing like this is your mock have you done have you done enough due diligence Steve yeah so there was <clears throat> there was a point in my in when I was going through the quarterbacks I had my aha moment on Zach Wilson and Zach Wilson was a guy that when I, when I looked back he was uh much like a Josh Allen it was like a late night Mountain Westy type of game. It's BYU. They're independent. But late night game, and I saw Zach Wilson as a freshman. And you see, like, the quick release and the ball come out nice. I'm like, all right, boom, watch list as a freshman. Like him. And he was okay. He's, he, had a, he had a couple pretty good years. But I was always just keeping my eye on him. I did not expect him to look the way he did this year, though. Hmm. He went from a guy – I mean, Blake Bortles caught my eye as a freshman. So, for whatever it's – and Bortles <laughs> was a very good college quarterback for whatever he's done in the NFL, okay? So, Zach Wilson caught my eye. This year, though, he was exceptional. I think the concern is, I'm actually going to write about this this week, is the one-year wonderness yeah. of players. I'm working with Timo on the R&D team as far as, like, how do you handle one-year wonders? And that's Zach Wilson. So I did put Zach Wilson over Justin Fields as I was re-watching their 2020s. I did, I did go with Wilson over Fields. And the thing that put me over the top is maybe it's the recency bias again, the off the off-platform stuff, the the natural arm talents, natural throwing ability that Zach Wilson showed, in in addition to the production grades and all the things he's he's done on the field. Mm -hmm. So I've put I've put Wilson over Fields, but I think to your point, I would say Lawrence is just too potentially special to pass up. So I can understand there not being any discussion at the top there. Fields versus Wilson, though, I am surprised that there's not more of a discussion at two for the Jets. Okay. Uh, this week, though, now this is funny. This is this is social media world. Last week, Justin Fields overtook Mac Jones as the most likely, by you know betting odds, most likely pick at number three yep. to the San Francisco 49ers. And um, again, I think I mentioned I, how many times do I repeat myself, guys? Probably a lot. Josh Norris said something to the effect of, "I think the betting odds are simply." based off of public perception not like insider knowledge or anything like that right so fields jumps is lance going to jump up now because he's having his pro day right now and all of a sudden the the money is going to be going to trey lance probably um it's certainly i mean that's the thing that's being talked about is not lance's pro day lance to the 49ers is suddenly a topic like this morning i've seen that a couple of times on twitter already um yeah i wonder if there's i wonder if there's actually strategy to be had in terms of like uh, placing your um, your pro day in the calendar? Like, is there actually a margin? You know the way, like, yeah. uh, when you're voting, just being the first name has, like, a 
a notable statistical boost over being positioned somewhere else on the ballot, right? The, the human mind, for all its complexity and wonders, is a pretty dumbass instrument a lot but of the time. It's also like C, like if you have A, B, C, multiple choice, I think right. C is the most common yeah, answer, yeah. right? So there's like ways, you know, your brain is a predictable machine. There's ways of anticipating what it's going to do. And simply the first name in a list is going to get a higher number than other names because, I don't know, people are dumb. Um, so, like, is there something to actually plotting your pro day? If it's the last thing people saw, it's going to be the best. This happens in college football all the time with, with, with the Heisman. P because... Right, if you do your thing, like, the first week one or week two, nobody gives a crap. You but do the thing later on when everyone's actually paying attention. But it's also like the end of the season. If uh, The teams that didn't have conference championship games for a long time, like Ohio State and Michigan before the Big Ten had a championship game, they'd finish their season on November 15th or whatever it was. Other teams would be sitting there two weeks later, conference championship game, a week before the Heisman ceremony, and it was the, the most – it's like, who, who plays for Michigan? Who plays for – I haven't seen them play in three weeks. Yeah. It's like MVP as well in the NFL. If you Oh, the MVPs ridiculous yeah, with that like you can the first month of your season is basically irrelevant if you go on a run from like october onwards you're golden nobody will care what you did in the first month it's because i don't i think the human brain also doesn't do a good job of deciphering how uh, like a race a race isn't always your first your second your third there's distance in between first and second so they don't comprehend that like if a guy's way in front just because he has a bad game doesn't mean well you slip you flip two and one and that's it you know, there's distance there to be made. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> it's an unexciting mock at the top, Sam. I'm sorry. I don't know if everybody at PFF is going to have the same well, exact thing. But that, not... I think that's where we are. I think the top four picks are locked in for everybody here at PFF. Yeah, it's not that it's unexciting. It's just that it's the same as everything else. So like, that's those are we still are. exciting. It's That's an exciting run of picks. It's oh, just it's that we already yeah. know what's happening according to everything else. It's a very exciting run of picks. Uh, Kyle Pitts to the Falcons. Um, we'll see if that ends up happening, but I, I think that's the most likely option at this point. And adding him to Julio and Ridley, and by the way, at PFF.com, I actually wrote way more than I expected. I was trying to just go like one or two lines on everything. I did you do any trades in this? I did no trades. No trades. And, and here's why. Because you're lazy? <sighs> Listen, Sam. No? There's no. an element of laziness to ah, it. I see. But the more I looked at it, I've got Mac Jones going at nine to the Broncos. I have Trey Lance going at 15 to the Patriots. Way to spoil it. As GM, sorry, as G, it's on PFF.com right now. You, you can, you can w read it and listen at the same time. You can watch along. The more I looked into it, as GM, I don't want to trade up for okay. either of those quarterbacks. I'm willing to take those quarterbacks. Somebody's going to trade for somebody. It's just the way of the I'm world. not predicting the draft. So you would not trade for any because you, you know, rigid data man that you are are not going to trade up for anybody that isn't a quarterback and if the quarterbacks you don't love you're not going to trade up okay. i i also I, I don't know the more i think of this i think that i think the trade scenarios are less likely because yeah, we know like, that when there's was the last first round they didn't have any trades oh i don't know as far as no trades yeah oh i don't know but most times most mock drafts remember mel used to do this back in the day he's like i'm not doing any trades you know we I can't predict trades and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna pick and then slowly people start. The first time I ever did a trade, I felt like I was cheating. I was like, oh, I'm doing one trade, okay? Because that was, just wasn't the way mock drafts were done. Now people are wheeling and dealing left and right. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. So tell me this is a throwback mock draft. It's a throwback. It's a throwback, but it's what I would do. So, like, so it's a hybrid. What are we talking, 90s, 90s Mel? 
80s Mel? How far early, back we go? Early 2000s. Early 2000s. Early 2000s. He also never used to put the Buffon was in juniors shape, in man. until they declared. You know, we've got rules here. I would never put a junior in a mock draft until I officially know he's in the in the draft. Mel's got some takes. He does have some I, takes. I walked into a whole world about mashed potato pizza over the weekend. It's not a, Look, not of, a, not a pretty place to be. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was bad. Look, of course there's going to be trades. Like, there's going to be something in the 20s. That's But you yeah. weren't putting something. You weren't trying to, oh, who's going to trade back into the first round? In, I already in made two trades. I was good. Yeah, good. I'm looking at the quarterback situation, though, and I think I'm thinking that there's three guys going off the top. QBs four and five are Mac Jones and Trey Lance. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I think there's going to be less of a market there. And I don't know that there's a team. Where should a team be going to get a Mac Jones or a Trey Lance? I just don't know if there's a either a clean spot for it. I mean, if or if they should be doing that. If those are the three quarterbacks that go one, two, three, I would be amazed if Denver sat at nine and waited patiently, hoping that one of those two quarterbacks or both those two quarterbacks were available now they were in your mock draft but i would be amazed if denver with the level of desperation that they have at the position right now was prepared to play that game of chicken with who with who with anybody who's who who else is coming up to get anybody else that didn't move in your mock the patriots could easily do it detroit sit two places ahead of them could grab either quarterback carolina could potentially still grab a quarterback there's two teams sitting directly above denver that could conceivably easily take a quarterback that they want and the specter that somebody could jump over them i think um who uh, dane brugler put it out there that carolina could still be in the quarterback market yeah now i don't buy that but i think it's plausible enough that if you're denver again with the level of desperation that they have i do you want to screw with that george george asked me this on the on the call today we had on our uh, production call this week he said i can't believe you had trey lance at 15 i can't believe you had mac jones at nine and I'm looking through, and it's like, all right, I don't see the Falcons trading. The Bengals at five. We'll get to them in a second. They're going to sit pat and take a blue-chip player. The Dolphins trade it up to make sure that they get a blue-chip player. The Lions have a six-year contract for their head coach and GM. They can mm -hmm. be patient. They don't have to force a quarterback. They'll build the roster first. The Panthers just traded for Darnold. So if I'm the Broncos, I, I don't see any of those guys moving. I think you might be able to sit at nine and get a quarterback. Dallas at 10, to, Giants at 11, Eagles at 12. None of those teams are taking a quarterback. Chargers at 13, Vikings at 14, unlikely to take a quarterback. So I think the Patriots, I think the moves might be 10 through 14. There might be teams trying to leapfrog, trying to get up there. The Patriots either moving up right. or Washington or Chicago. Precisely. But the point is, if one of those teams is going to do that, if you're Denver, you therefore have to move to stop that happening. No, I think Denver is going to be okay at 9. I don't. I wouldn't look at New England at 15. It's going to be tough for them to have the ammo to get into the top 10. It's difficult to get from 15 to 5 or 6. It's a lot easier, obviously, to get to 10, 11, 12. I don't see the Patriots at 15, Washington at 19, or Chicago at 20 necessarily having the ammo to get into the top 10. I could see them trying to get to, to 10 plus. So I think they, they're going up for maybe QB5 after Denver, okay. if anything. And it could be because it could be one of their top <clears throat> quarterbacks. All right. The um, Cincinnati Chili debate, Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase. How is that a Chili debate? Well, it's like the debate. It's like Gold Star versus uh, Skyline. Is it? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do that whole breakdown last week? Feels like it's a very different debate. All that. you debate in Cincinnati is Skyline versus Gold Star. That's what yeah. the folks do here. Somebody told me that the that Gold Star doesn't necessarily come with onions, but I'm pretty sure every picture I've ever seen of it has. Big, well, there's like a default. It's kind of like big, a. Like, 
like a big map comes with onion. all sorts of stuff on it, but you can ask for it plain. Right, but they were sort of making the point. They were saying that it doesn't like you have to actually specify the onions, which would beg the question of why are they in every photo that I see of it? Anyway, that's way more time it's spent on this. It's than, the default. Right, which so, therefore means that it does come with onions. The hottest debate in Cincinnati is Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase. Yeah, and you've gone the other way. You went with Sewell. I went the other way that I've, you know, I've pounded the table for Jamar Chase here. Uh, I'm, I'm playing it a couple ways here. I'm saying if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, you're trying to be right whatever happens. It's, it's smart. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you could play either clip. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, there, are, there are people who do that really well right now on, the, uh, on social media. It'll yeah, be like as long today. Say it once and then bookmark where you did yeah. it. It's like on today, on April nineteenth. Here's what I'm hearing for the top ten of the mm. mock draft, and you do that four or five times. Yeah, and then you've got everything sorted, right? And, and then you go back to like, oh, my third third iteration was right. Yeah, on draft night. Uh-huh. How about that? I think the Bengals go Penesul. I think it's I think it's okay to go Penesul because in part I'm assuming if I do want to get a wide receiver, it's going to be easier on the turn mm-hmm. than it's going to be to get a tackle that I'm comfortable with yep. on the turn. So I'm going Panay Sewell for the Cincinnati Bengals at five, which gives the Dolphins Jamar Chase. And you made a very astute point about how how much of a win this is for the Dolphins. You made this point on the daily today. Yeah, I mean, I think, I genuinely think there's a pretty good chance that this is what Miami plotted out like weeks ago whenever they made this these trades. Um, I was going to say this trade because I actually think you should look at this as one net move for Miami um, they traded from 3 to 12 and then 12 back up to 6 but I think ultimately the calculation they made is that we can drop from number 3 to number 6 pick up an extra first round pick and still draft Jamar Chase I think that's honestly the calculation they were making when they made this deal because if the draft unfolds the way we think it will which is QB 1, 2, 3 and then some combination of Kyle Pitts at number four, unless Atlanta trades out, in which case it'll be a quarterback at four. And then Panay Sewell will be the Bengals pick. That means Jamar Chase, the best wide receiver in the draft, falls to our spot, who was who we would have selected at number three anyway. Um, if that's what they did, if that was the calculation and this is the way it unfolds, the Dolphins, that, like, that is masterful manipulation of the draft. Even if you know you break those trades down individually and say, well, the value chart says they could have got more. Or it should have uh, should have made a better deal moving back up. Like I, I don't think you can look at it that way. I think you have to look at it as a net calculation of we get the player we were going to draft at number three and we pick up an extra first round pick. Yeah. <clears throat> I also think you have to – I think you look at the draft from like a two- and three-year lens as well. Um, I, I made this point years ago. Um, our friend Mike Tannenbaum you know, was on the show a few weeks ago. Um, and I don't know if he knows this, but I wrote an article about why – back in 2012 i wrote an article about essentially why the jets essentially why he got fired why the jets just didn't work out and it was because there was a three-year period they're they're battling with the patriots right and the jets peaked made it to a couple afc championships but there was a three-year period where the patriots drafted 39 times and the jets drafted 13 times Mm. 13 times in three years so if the patriots hit on a third of their picks to have the equivalence for the Jets, you'd have to go 100%, 13 for 13, right? You know, so essentially, pick more. So if you're a team that has picked more often, as the Dolphins have, and you've loaded up the roster in some key areas, I think you're, you're, you're allowed to take more chances like that. You're allowed to you know, jump up from 12 to 6. It's not always just trade down and draft 15 times every single year. 
I think you could take more calculated risks. It goes back to this diver diversify your portfolio. Whereas if you're the Jets of Tannenbaum's era or the Saints of the last, like the Saints traded their last four draft picks to go get Adam Troutman last year. Like their roster's not in position to do that at all. We also traded back into the draft, sacrificing a pick this year to draft a like gimmick player who they didn't didn't, didn't, didn't even use. make the roster. Yeah, just because they were getting like it was becoming like there was some sort of game involving like them jerking them around with undrafted, you know, like priority free agents. They were playing hardball or something. So they went, all right, fine, trade back in, draft them instead. Like they genuinely burned, out of spite. Yeah, yeah, burn draft picks basically out of spite. Spite. Uh huh. I traded my seventh rounder <clears throat> in exchange for spite. Yeah, or it's amazing actually that like things like that still happen in this world of like trying to chase know, right? every last edge. Right. And, and then, you know, you you send private investigators after draft draft prospects. You do yeah. all this research and work, and then you got a couple spite picks. Right. It's like, oh, you're gonna play hardball yeah. with the uh, the priority free agent deal. All right. So get on the phone to somebody. Trade next year's fifth. We're getting them. So ultimately, my, ultimately, my point to the nerds, including those here at PFF. The Dolphins have used so much draft capital the last couple of years. They're in position that they can make a trade up every now and again. If this year, if the Seahawks, who have three draft picks, decide they're going to package their three to trade up to just have one pick, that would be just, ridiculous. That'd yeah, be bad. I just don't even, I don't think it's helpful to view it as a trade up. I think you have to look at it as almost, look at it as a three-way three trade yeah. that everybody's been trying to shoehorn all offseason for some reason. The Dolphins only moved down because they knew they could move back up. If that second trade wasn't on the table, I don't think they'd have traded out of number three. I don't think they'd have traded from three to 12 if they didn't know they could jump back up to six at the same time. So it's not, it's, a, it's the net move for them was the calculation that we can go from three to six, not change the player we're picking and get an extra first round pick at the same time. And in order for that to happen, there had to be a third team involved. Like San Francisco needed to be in the market to jump up to three as well. I don't think you can. I don't think it makes sense to look at this as Miami made one great move in trading down to twelve, and then wasn't a great move to trade up to, to six again. Even right. if you look at it and say, well, it wasn't a great move, but Miami's earned themselves the ability to, you know, take some more risks. And I, they just, only traded down to twelve because they had something in place to get to six. Yeah, it, it just, is one it's deal. one deal for them, and it's one very good deal if it pans out this way. All right, Lions at seven. I went wide receiver Devontae Smith. Yep. Out of Alabama. Like it. Uh, Rashawn Slater, the uh, our mock draft sim, by the way, pff.com slash mock, which might be showing up to a big-time website near you in the future. I don't know how much we can give away on that, but the mock draft sim is going national. Yeah. More national than PFF. International, in fact. International. Well, we're the most international. I cannot believe the emails we're getting from by all the over way, the world. the Irish contingent of our podcast is going up. We're up to 14%. It was 13. 14%? Yeah. Can we get some more? I mean, I don't care who listens. Oh, I feel okay. like we should be doing better in the States then. Well, you should. Yeah, you're letting the side down. I apparently am dragging, like, basically all of Ireland with me. There's 14% of our listenership is most of Ireland at this point. Um, you appear to be lagging behind when it comes to... I added my next-door neighbor, Mike. He's United probably listening States. right now. Only 65% of our listenership come from the U.S. Man. That's a I low get... number. For an American football podcast. But, that's a, but if it's out of millions, though, that's like 650,000. Well, I mean, it's a big number, but it's a low percentage, oh, okay. what I'm saying. For, for a topic specializing in American football, only 65% of our listenership just, are American. We just have a great international audience. 
Anyway, Carol, the mock draft sim does not like my pick of Rashawn Slater to the Carolina Panthers. They're another one of those teams, though. I don't know if t- before they traded for Sam Darnold, quarterback was in play. Uh, I think there's a bunch of things that are in play. I hate the fact that they came out of free agency though with a massive hole at left tackle. Those, those are the those are the picks I hate the yeah. least, and we'll get to some more of them. But I mean, when teams have a massive need to fill, and the Panthers have one, generally, if you generally it's bad team building to leave yourself in a position where you have a glaring starting hole that needs to be filled with the draft. You know, with one of your first couple of picks, if you need to come away with a player who you plan on starting day one next year, with the exception of quarterback, I guess, because that's not really a team-building issue. It's just you have a need of quarterback and you got to keep swinging. But generally, if you have a glaring hole that needs to be filled, you have done you're, – you're already behind the eight ball because now you need to force something. Um, by the way, we, so some of the emails we've gotten have been not just like – interesting locations you know like a guy from denmark or south africa or wherever but they've been people like from one interesting location that are now in another interesting location it's like denmark via mexico or something or, or vice versa um but fire us an email to uh, nfl podcast singular at pff.com i'm just curious what the most obscure place we can get is oh yeah if you're in a really weird location you know on a like Hi, scientific time, rig time in the Mars. Antarctica, oh, yeah. in the Antarctic, uh, fire us an email. Let they us know. Internet down in Let Antarctica. us know. Hashtag. Oh, of course they do. Where, how do you think the science gets done, Steve? We Which, need the internet. We got it on note. the ice shelf. We got an amazing note the other day. Was it from from somebody in like Singapore or something? Who was like, yeah. He's like, I'm. It's six a.m. over here, just having a beer and listening to you guys. I was like, wow, there's yeah, there's a lot to unpack. Here. Right, <laughs> everything like, about that email was kind of like weird. woke up, had a beer. I like it though. It was listening to us mm. on like a Saturday morning over there. It was yeah. great. But uh, which time zones Antar- Antarctica? All of them. I, probably have all of them, right? I don't know. Well, yeah, it probably depends where on the ice shelf you are, right? Is that how? Like, you're probably like one step away from each time zone, depending on how you. Yeah, maybe they move. just like screw it. The whole place is on Eastern. You know what I mean? Just for yeah. ease of use. I don't know. I have no idea. I haven't looked into how the uh, I'll tell you what. I know it's, I'll tell you what it's not. What, what it's is not it? mountain time. It's not mountain time. There's no, there's no way Antarctica is on mountain time. <laughs> Imagine if it was. We're going to stick with one time zone. It's mountain time. That's where it's at. Do a full article on mountain time and why it's the worst time zone. <laughs> anyway, where are we here? Broncos are picking a quarterback at nine. And there you go. Alyssa says they use New Zealand time zone. I don't know what that is, but it's... They use New Zealand time zone. Yeah. I know what it is because we we're in cahoots with a New Zealand company. So I work, you know, I'm in meetings with New Zealanders all the time. Love those guys. Mac Jones at nine to the Denver Broncos. Your thoughts, Sam? Um, I, I mean, I like that Denver got a quarterback. I like that Denver got a quarterback and didn't have to trade up to get one. Um, so from that point, I like it. Uh, I, I, I mean, am I... Alone in liking all five of the quarterbacks that are available in the first round? Uh, no, I think... It feels like you should not like five of them because there's no way all five work out, right? So, therefore, almost by definition, you're definitely wrong somewhere. But the question is where. I, I like Mac Jones, and I think falling this far is about right. I, I can see a reason that people would draft him higher. And I, I, I do think there's something to this idea that he is a guy that will grow on you as we said the more of his tape you watch and that's why there's been this perceived um soaring of his stock the closer we get to the draft time because the deeper you get the more you appreciate his ability to process within that offense and to actually execute it at a high level and an extremely 
fast rate. Um, but his flaws are still there. Like sure. the fact that he is relatively unathletic, that he doesn't really create outside of structure, um, and that he doesn't have a phenomenal arm, all these things still exist. So that should drop him some way. It should, there should be a gap between Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, and Mac Jones, I think. And this, is, this sort of represents that gap. But for Denver, if you're there, you desperately need something better than Drew Locke as your starting quarterback. I do like the ability of Mac Jones to come in, be surrounded with that array of weaponry. You know, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, Albert O. Okay, they got rid of Philip Lindsay, but as a running back, who cares? The, the list of receivers that he has available to him, the offensive line is moving in the right direction. That offense has the potential to be really, really good if you get a quarterback that can process quickly, that can deliver the ball accurately. Those are things that Mac Jones does well. The only question is, how much of a struggle will that transition be from Alabama Open to NFL Open? Well, he's got Jerry Judy That'll giving, help. giving him Alabama Open. So, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think there's a good – I think it's a good fit there. I, I, think, I think I like Mac Jones more than I like Trey Lance. Okay. for Denver because of how that that team is built I do think if you're going to maximize Trey Lance we'll talk about him at 15 with the Patriots if you're gonna maximize him it's not a complete Lamar Jackson offense but I think Trey Lance is the best pure runner among all these quarterbacks pure we're going to put the ball in your hands eight to ten times a game so the team has to be ready to do that I don't want Denver's offense doing that because of how they've built up their wide receiver talent I don't want to have to play that way so I like Mac Jones for Denver, which is why I picked him. Um, also, that's nine straight offensive players off the board. We met, we yeah. talked about this a little bit. We did a daily on it. Is this a realistic scenario that you can't have, that you don't have a defensive player off the board until 10 with the Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the most likely spot for the first defensive player to go. He could go number seven uh, to Detroit. Who the hell knows what they're going to do? It's a bit of a, um, a wild card. But I think realistically, the most likely landing spot for the first defensive player is going to be 10 to Dallas. And Sertan seems to be the place. It seems to be the guy that, that's locked in there quite a bit. Yeah, it's been, they've been cornered the whole way. Um, it started off and it was Caleb Farley, and then Caleb Farley's back became a concern, and now it's Patrick Sertan. Um, those, I think, are probably the two most likely ones, but I wouldn't necessarily rule out the idea that they go defensive line. All right, the other deal that we have that you guys need to know about is for people that like fantasy football, and if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. No in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. So here's the deal. You go to Underdog Fantasy, deposit just 10 bucks using the promo code PFF, $10, and you get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. Yeah, I like Sertan uh, to the Cowboys. I, I've seen people talk about the Patriots maybe you know, moving up to 10 to them. But again, I don't see who they're leapfrogging. Right? For the, a quarterback? For a quarterback. Yeah. The Patriots at this point. So if the draft plays out as such, and New England is sitting there, and Trey Lance is the next quarterback on the board, are they going to feel the need to trade up? The, the only fear they would have is the bears yeah or football that, that's team what they're saving off at this point okay. it's like how long can we let this slide continue before we're scared of chicago or washington jumping ahead of us to grab this guy that's assuming 
they even think the fifth guy is worth that, you know? Like I said, I, right. I appear to be fairly unique in actually liking all five of these guys, but the Patriots might like three of them. And the two that are left or the one that's left might be somebody they don't have any interest in. We look at it on the outside and think, hey, Trey Lance to New England is actually quite a nice fit, or at least I do. Uh, I wonder if they do. Like maybe the Patriots have no interest in that. Maybe they are dialed in on the Mac Jones style of quarterback. And if he's out of there and Trey Lance is the one left, New England wants no part of it. They're going to punt on a quarterback this year, you know, draft an offensive lineman or a cornerback, come back next year and look for their passer. Um, but if they are in this position where there's one left, that's the guy they like. It's a, again, it's a case of how much, how prepared are you to play this game of chicken and risk Chicago or Washington jump in over you. Yeah, and I'm more of the mind. If, if I was to do this over again, GM Steve from the football team or the Bears might be looking to, to trade up. If I'm the Patriots, though, I'm viewing this the same way I did the Dwayne Haskins selection a couple of years ago by Washington. I didn't love Haskins. Yeah. I just thought if you didn't have to give up extra draft pet capital to get him, he was worth the shot. I think that was a great – that was a great – a great pick they got him great, at 15 yeah they got him with 15 there had been talk before the draft that you were going to need to trade well up into the top 10 to snag a haskins um that was before we knew daniel jones was going to go number six uh they waited patiently they got a quarterback okay he turned out to be a disaster but shit happens like take the risk give it a shot move on that was a, a great there's a lot of teams that have drafted quarterbacks recently that haven't worked out but the process was sound Denver's Drew Locke process from start to finish was, was extremely sound. Yeah. They waited till the second round. That's where he should have gone. You, you saw flashes from him when he first got on the field, which is a dramatic departure of what you saw from Joe Flacco. So you said, to hell with it. Let's surround this guy with weapons and give him a real chance to succeed. And he hasn't so far. But the process, start to finish, was great. Uh, Washington again, Haskins, I think the process, start to finish, was great doesn't mean it's always going to work out. The, the, the thing that separates, I think, good teams from bad teams is just how quickly you're prepared to accept that no amount of good process is going to make this guy pan out. If he hasn't, let's move on. Let's just go into this a little bit further, just for a minute here, because the, the usual draft analysis, right? There's articles that come out left and right. Why, are the NFL, why is the NFL so bad at picking quarterbacks? I think I'm doing an interview about this in the next day or two about this. Like, this is what people like to write about, right? And they're going to say... Man, what a bust by Washington. I mean, that's how it's viewed, right? Dwayne Haskins barely lasted a year on the roster, and it's going to be viewed as a massive bust by Washington. Never should have made the pick at 15 in 2019. But we're saying it's good process, even though the result wasn't great. And we're only saying that because, okay, what would the alternative be if you're Washington that year? So the next pick was Brian Burns with Carolina. He's a good player. He's a good edge defender, right? Uh, doesn't Washington doesn't need any more of those guys. They got Chase Young the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's fine. Brian Burns is a good player. Dexter Lawrence is a good player. Garrett Bradbury got picked next. He hasn't been a good player yet. No. Jeffrey Simmons has been pretty good. Noah Fant is okay at tight end. Darnell Savage is a good player at safety. But none of those players are completely changing Washington's franchise, right? You're drafting Dwayne Haskins there. Even, again, I didn't love him as a first-round prospect. It was just I would – take a chance you're you're paying for the opportunity to just see if this guy's the future quarterback and the fact that Washington was able to move on quickly whether it was because because Haskins was Haskins was such a disaster or not they got to move on quickly um, and they're still in a 
not great position at quarterback long term, but you, you grab a Ryan Fitzpatrick as a bridge and you're still trying to solve that position. But it's not like Washington's football team would be dramatically better with Brian Burns, Dexter Lawrence, Jeffrey Simmons, Noah Fance, Darnell Savage, Josh Jacobs. It's okay to miss on quarterbacks yeah. is the point. And I love the fact that Washington did it without having to trade up and, and all that stuff. So yeah. that's why we're saying the process is sound, even though most analysis is like, you idiots, you drafted Dwayne Haskins, bust. Right. Look, I think you're not going to – we know that the process is not good enough for you to hit every pick you make. The question is, I think there's – there's value to having sound process, even if it doesn't work out. And as I say, the thing that separates good and bad teams is understanding when to cut bait, like when you've missed. Like, I think that's the single biggest thing is the self-analysis part of this and realizing when you've screwed it up and, and how quickly you can move on to the next guy and continue your sound process. Yeah, that's it. I like it. We're just uh, defending the Dwayne Haskins pick here two years later. We got an email in already, by the way, from a... An interesting location. Oh, do we? A guy from Haiti. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Who runs some kind of uh, nonprofit for kids named GoodThreadsNeedlePoint.com. Nice. So that seems like a nice thing to do. Go there. Give the guy some uh GoodThreadsNeedlePoint.com. That's good stuff. We assume. You didn't do any research. I didn't. No, we I may it's... well just endorse something hideous, but I think I didn't. Let's, oh, let's just assume I did. somebody like a porn site or something. I hope not. No, I did at least open the website. Oh, okay. So that part is, <laughs> it is a Needlepoint oh, you, website. You that, clicked spam. That purports to be, you know, for, for the just, kids. We're just I haven't investigated their backgrounds to make sure they're not hideously exploitative, but I assume they're not. We ju we're just joking. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that email. That's great. From Haiti. All right. Let's fire through. Where are we now? The Giants at 11. Jalen Waddle. Is that... Do you like this pick or no? Waddle? I mean, yeah. Is this too redundant to all the receiver, receiving talent that the Giants have added? I don't think it is. I don't think it's too redundant. I question... I, I'm lower on Jalen Waddle than other people, and I just worry about him this high. Um, Jalen Waddle is is a guy that a lot of people are projecting as – Jalen Waddle, I think, is the single – maybe the single biggest target in this draft or the single biggest example of chasing unicorns. Um, and generally, I think in the draft, it is a mistake to go chasing unicorns. And by what I mean is – a lot of people's comp for Jalen Waddle is going to be Tyreek Hill. Like, and I can see why in terms of if you're looking for another Tyreek Hill. And, you know, if, if I was to ask you to describe Tyreek Hill from a traits, from a just generally describe Tyreek Hill as a human, as a football player, what am I looking for? Ridiculous speed and quickness. Uh-huh. What else? If you're just trying to describe Tyreek? Yeah. I mean, it's like uncoverable. Yeah, but Speed. why? What, so, ridiculously fast, ridiculously quick, small. And ball skills. Small, small with absurd ball skills and plays way bigger than he is, right? Yeah. All those things put together end up with Tyreek Hill. Now, if you look at Jalen Waddle, ridiculous speed, extreme quickness, small, plays bigger than he is, has at least a couple of highlight reel plays at the catch point in there, definitely is, is stronger than you think a guy of that size should be. So, all those things kind of match, right? You're ticking them off one left and right for Tyreek Hill versus Jalen Waddle, But there are other players for whom that's true as well who have never ended up being anything like Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is just this unique unicorn. Um, so if you're trying to find the next Tyreek Hill, I think you're probably going to come up empty-handed most of the time. Uh, so my concern with, with Waddle is, all right, you have all this stuff, um, but 
you have a guy who played in this cheat code of an offense at Alabama that made everybody look good. And that's not unique to him. That's just a general observation that we probably need to apply to all of the players coming out of that, whether it's Ruggs, Judy, Devontae Smith, Waddle, Tua, uh, Mac Jones, all of them probably need to be at least dinged to some degree because of that offense. Yep. Two, Jalen Waddle, as much as people will try and convince you otherwise, was never the guy, the guy in that receiving core. Uh, people will claim that for the first four weeks of this season, when he was healthy with Devontae Smith, he was the go-to. Wait. Wasn't true. As a true Just freshman. Wasn't. When all four of those guys are out there, he had the highest PFF grade. Just saying. That's the different thing. That's efficiency versus being the guy. Just saying. Um, Keep going. I think he had a higher grade than Devontae for the – maybe he had a higher He's grade the for the only, first Jalen Waddle's the only Bama receiver out of the, that trio to grade above 80 in three straight seasons. That's <laughs> okay. consistency. But anyway, the people will say that he was the number one receiver when they were both healthy earlier this year. And it, it re, it's only true if you look at it in terms of receiving yardage only, which is massively skewed by the fact that uh, Waddle had one 95-yard touchdown in there. Whereas Devontae Smith at that point in the year hadn't had anything longer than 28 yards or something yet. Um, which is just, okay, Don't you don't even need to take them away. Just acknowledge that that kind of stuff sw like swings. It's a bit, you know, it's not fluky, but the, the, the distribution of when you're going to get your 90-yard touchdown versus not having a thing over 28 yards is just random chance, essentially. Later in the year, Devontae Smith had a bunch of big plays. If he'd had one of those in the first four weeks... He'd have had more yardage in addition to more catches, targets, third down work, same number of touchdowns, all those things. So Waddle was never the number one receiver there. He's also had the easiest role of any of those guys in terms of lining up in the slot against off coverage most of the time. Now, that is going to be harder in the NFL because they don't essentially give you that same free, massive chunk of space is, to just run into. Is the crux of your argument that Jalen Waddle is just not Tyreek Hill? Well, yeah, it's if great. It's, it's, he's I not, wasn't draft, like, I'm he's drafted. I'm drafted at eleven for the Giants. I'm not expecting Tyree Kill. What if I'm he's not Tyree Kill? And what if he isn't capable of projecting anywhere near Tyree Kill? What if he is just this? Like, what if he's just this sort of plus receiver who operates in the slot a lot and ex and thrives in space? But once you actually ask him to play against much tighter coverage, et cetera, on the outside doesn't happen as well. It's it's back to this like what if he's a an ex, what if he's an elite slot receiver that doesn't do too well outside? Because he's a he's a vertical slot. So uh, let me just change the conversation a little bit here. My my pick here at 11 for the Giants is saying I don't care if he's a number 1. I I you're okay. Just like we say we're not we're not going to draft running backs in the first round. I think the other axiom we should have is say it's okay to draft wide receiver two or wide receiver two and a half in the first round is because that's valuable. Well, I, I think it is. One, they're, okay, but also is it okay to draft him number 11? Sure. I think it is. <laughs> okay. Because I, So everything that you just said, I don't care if he's Tyree Kill. Now, what if he is on that Deshaun Jackson, Will Fuller spectrum? And if you think that's too high for him, we can discuss that in a second too. But if you know you're getting Deshaun Jackson or Will Fuller, to compliment Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, who's already a very good mm -hmm. deep threat, uh, and the two tight ends, Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph. Man, I am loving that. Yeah. Right? For multiple reasons. Let me steal the forecast in, in their view. You get to know as soon as possible if Daniel Jones is the guy. 
Daniel Jones has had you know some ups and downs in his first two years. You're going to know by year three if Daniel Jones is the guy to build around or not. And then on the other hand, you're just you know probably going to create some good offense with all of those guys at receiver, assuming the offensive line can block better. And the only reason why you're probably not going offensive line here is you have all of your tackle pieces there with Andrew Thomas and Nate Solder and Matt Parrott. Like you have the guys there, so you don't need to throw another tackle into the mix. You need to improve on the offensive line, uh, the O-line on the interior if you're the Giants. I love the Waddle pick here. I don't think it's redundant, and I think it's – I'm trying to make the point here it's okay to get wide receiver two that high in the first round. That's how important that is in the NFL. I don't think it's redundant. My question is – I mean, I think – Deshaun Jackson is probably a fairer target than Tyreek Hill. Oh, I'd take that at 11 all day. If but, I knew, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a confidence factor, but I would take that all day at 11. Sure. It's probably a fairer target than Tyreek Hill, but I think it's also a very optimistic one. Um, Deshaun Jackson has been arguably the league's best deep threat for basically the entirety of his career, assuming he could stay healthy. Um, and that was a big assumption. I, my question is more, what if he is somewhere below that? Like if he's a Will Fuller, is Will Fuller worth the number 11 pick in any given draft? I would question that. I think generally as wide receivers, because they are becoming so much easier to find now, if you're going to draft a guy in the first half of the first round, I want a pretty high degree of confidence that he can do everything. And that's why my the two that I would pick are Chase and Smith, because I think those guys can do everything. They can be a deep threat. In addition, they can win in all these other ways. I don't know that Jalen Waddle can do that. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's fair. I understand your Waddle concerns, um, but, you know, that's here. Here we are. Giants at 11 taking Jalen Waddle. Um, the other pick that I know you hate, Eagles at 12 taking <laughs> J.C. Horn. Listen to the – you went on for at least three or four minutes on the PFF NFL Daily mm. on why you don't like this pick. I'm going to push people there Yeah, I'm not gonna for do that again, level of analysis. Please don't repeat it. We're, we're, we're tight on time here. We only have two to three hours left here on the PFF NFL podcast. But you don't uh, like this at all. I don't, no. I think he's, uh, I think this is overdrafting him. Man, you just get locked into your draft takes. You're going to have Horn in the fourth round by the end of this thing. No, I just, I concerned, I, again, like it, first round is different to 12. Yeah. There's like a whole 20 other picks to go. 12 is in the first round. I know. But when you talk, like I would be okay with him as a first rounder lower down. Okay. 12 is rich. So what you hate J.C. Horn, detest him. No. So J.C. Horn's still a first-rounder in your mind. Um, I got him going to the Eagles because here's the bottom line. The Eagles have had one of the best pass-rushing teams in the NFL since 2015. That has remained static. Sometimes you do a little A-B analysis, Sam. A has remained static. That's pass-rushing. Static for the Eagles. They've been one of the best consistently year over year. The one thing that has changed and the one thing that has made the Eagles successful is the one year that they had a very good secondary and they were three deep at corner, and they covered well. It was 2017. That was their Super Bowl year. So for an Eagles team, and I know it's a whole defensive scheme overhaul and the whole thing, and Eagles fans scream at you. You got to get the pass rush first and all that stuff. Pass rush has been there every single season. Have to get right in the secondary, and I like J.C. Horn opposite Darius Slay. Okay. Charges at 13. I had... I take Christian Darisoff from Virginia Tech for like the 12th straight mock draft in my head. Mm -hmm. The Chargers might be the team that I've mock drafted for the um, over the years where I get one player 
and I just lock, he's just locked in for every single mock draft. Remember a couple years ago, I was kept giving him Malik Hooker? Yeah. Because they, they needed the free safety for their scheme. I think one year I kept giving him DeForest Buckner, the year that they ended up taking Bosa, because I thought the scheme fit was so... I, I, I don't even open up my mind for the Chargers. I just find a guy that fits them. So Christian Darasaw is the guy that I keep giving. He's number three, number three tackle on our board out of Virginia Tech. Absolutely mauls people in the run game. Um, he also, from a... Uh, PFF IQ and R&D projections standpoint is right there with Panay Sewell, Darisaw. Hmm. So keep an eye on Darisaw. He had a 95 grade last year. He is he's a really good player. Yeah, I mean, the Chargers are one of those teams that need that off that need that left tackle. Um, they've done a good job, I think, repairing that offensive line so far. Uh, but they need they need more well, at least one more pick, and you know it's probably not going to be a complete success this offseason because when you throw that many changes at one offensive line in one offseason as we saw with the Jets last year it usually isn't um, but they still have work to do and they've left themselves rolling into the draft needing a left tackle but unlike some of the teams lower down at 13 they should be pretty well positioned to grab a good one so I think you feel better about that than you do if you're the Chiefs or you know one of those teams lower down where you have the same hole but you have to wait until four or five of these guys are off the board before you get a swing at it. Yeah, that's exactly right. That was that was the Bucks last year getting Tristan Wirfs. You know, they needed a tackle. Yeah. They're sitting there at 14, I believe it was. And it's like, all right, you're going to get one of these top guys. They they wanted to trade up for Wirfs, and they did by a spot. But um, it is a lot different than, say, the Chiefs or yeah, other like, teams. It, it's a bad place to be because it, it worked out great for the Bucks. But what if the Bucks had drafted Andrew Thomas instead, right? right. That's why it's not a good spot to leave yourself because – when you need that starting guy, the draft is such a gamble that you don't know he's going to be able to come in and be good right away. So it's a great spot for the Chargers because at 13, they're probably going to get one of those top three, four, certainly the, the top end of the tackle market. But why it's a bad place to be in just generally is if that if you get it wrong, if that guy isn't the guy that can come in and be a high-level starter on day one, if he's one of the ones that struggles worse, it, you didn't fix anything, certainly not right away. Anyway, that would make uh, – if Darisaw is the pick, you slot him in at left tackle, the Chargers will have overhauled 80% of their offensive yeah. line this offseason, which is, which is okay because they were bad. And on paper, with big upgrades. Yeah, they're another, know. the Chargers are another team, man. I don't think their offensive line process has been that poor. <laughs> it just hasn't worked out through the years. It just hasn't worked out that well. Um, the other pick that you hate, I know Minnesota Vikings taking Christian Barmore at 14. Thought process here is, yes, I would love to get a tackle – I don't really like the drop-off from Darasaw to the next tackle at this point. Obviously, I'm going to take more tackles later in the first round. But to your point, there's a difference between drafting at 14 and drafting at 22, 23. Yeah. So I grab the best player who does, who will add it, bring something different to the table, which is, you know, interior pass rushing. Yeah, I mean, if I was the Vikings, I would just be absolutely bummed that this is the way the draft unfolded for me. Like, you get essentially beaten to the player you probably wanted one pick ahead of you. But that being said, that's based on, by the way, that's based off our board. Sure. I could absolutely see teams saying Dylan Ray Duns from North Dakota State or Walker Maybe. Little or whoever it is that they like them as a top 15 player. But looking at this, the, the, the point, though, generally is that looking at this before the draft, they, they have to know that is a possibility. Like, you know, the Chargers have a glaring need at left tackle. If you expect to get one of those tackles, you know, it's not like the Chargers are going to take one in front of you, probably. So. It, you have to be aware that this is a pretty high degree of likelihood that, that that's going to happen. 
it's just that it leaves you fairly well I mean, not screwed, but it's not a great place to be. The Vikings are one of those teams that do desperately need some kind of resources thrown at their offensive line. I think that rather than take Christian Barmore, who I think is a good player and a good fit, even if – so team or fans a lot of the times make the mistake of thinking we have two bodies for these two positions, therefore we're good, right? But defensive line is a rotation thing. You can easily put three into two on the interior, and all three guys have significant roles. So uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce, and Christian Barmore is not redundant. Like, that is a very good trio that can all get extensive playing time and make a major impact to your defense. So from that point of view, I don't hate it. Just the Vikings not coming out of this first round with an offensive lineman. I would, if Christian Darasaw goes one pick ahead... I would be intrigued to see if they grab a uh, Vera Tucker instead, fix the guard spot, and, and move on that way. Yeah, Vera Tucker could definitely be in play. He'll show up later in the mock. I also think the the, the trio of interior D-line that you're saying, Michael Pierce is going to be making $10.5 million in 2022 and over $11 million in 2023. There's some dead money associated there, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Michael Pierce is a cut candidate Right. at the end of the season and you're talking about Barmore pairing with Dalvin Tomlinson playing their natural positions and that's a fearsome duo that is really nice so for me the Vikings GM I've got some buyer's remorse on all the money I paid Michael Pierce and I'm not letting the move that I didn't make now that I've taken over as GM I'm not letting that move keep me from Christian Barmore who I think is the best interior pass rusher in the draft by a mile by the way by a mile Barmore yeah is the guy so now it's uh, the Patriots picking a quarterback. It's Trey Lance. I, I sat at 15 to get him. And once again, the thought process here is I don't have any major needs as the Patriots. I'm okay. I've, I've loaded up in free agency, except quarterback. Hmm. Um, I'm willing to take Trey Lance here. I didn't want to go trade up and get him, but I like this fit. And I like him sitting behind Cam Newton for now. Yeah, I like the fit. Um, I think, I mean, honestly, when you look at what Cam Newton is right now, it's it's not a dissimilar skill set to what you would expect Trey Lance to bring year one. So, and except obviously with Trey Lance, you anticipate an upside that probably isn't there with Cam Newton anymore. So the way that they've um, transformed that offense made two different tight ends in the space of 24 hours that joint third best paid tight end in the NFL, having run virtually no two tight end sets last year at all, this offense is changing and it's changing toward presumably an offense that fits more with a lower um, volume run heavy style of quarterback which is what Cam Newton is now and it's what Trey Lance is right now until he develops into something more uh, Trey Lance has only 371 career dropbacks yeah so a lot so I think you're it, there's just inherent risk here with him and it's why I've you've he's the least accurate of the top five and you might be using games started to talk about experience. I'm using drop. He has 371 career dropbacks. He's the least experienced from a passing standpoint. So that's why I think Trey Lance comes with the most inherent risk. As always, my nuanced take, my sit on the fence take, much like a Kurt Warner who ranked Trey Lance at number five on our podcast last mm -hmm. week. Sure, there's a world where Trey Lance is one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL or, or in this class or has you know the best season in this class here and there or a team taps it he is the best pure runner and i think you can you could start with that the whole jalen hurts thing the way Taysom hill's been used and of course lamar 
So there's a world where Trey Lance gets used properly, and I do think New England is a better fit than, say, Denver, the way that team is built. I also think there's some – so the the lack of career dropbacks is both a negative and a positive. It's negative in that, like, we don't really know that much about his passing ability right. because he's barely thrown the ball. On the other side, yeah, he's the most he's the most inaccurate of the top five quarterbacks in this draft, but – because he's barely thrown the ball. Like, what happens if we take him Josh Allen style and, okay, year one might not be great, but year one we're able to lean on his running threat and build an offense that's sort of high floor but maybe low ceiling as well. It's not going to be devastating, but it's going to be functional. But year one, the, the next offseason, whereas quarterbacks in the NFL, so you don't have the, the time to work with these guys the way you used to, right? You don't have this endless amount of practice time to rework the guy's mechanics from the ground up and teach him essentially how to throw the football from a biomechanical standpoint the way you might have been able to in the 1980s. Can't do that anymore. CBA limits it. You just don't have the time. It's all got to be practice. Install the offense. Done. So year one almost has to be a write-off, but nothing stops you getting this guy like a throwing coach for five months in the offseason when he's doing nothing else, right? So... And I think this is a thing that Josh Allen had as well, that Josh Allen essentially worked on his mechanics almost independent but endorsed by Buffalo, right? Yeah. So this didn't happen like in practice during the week while he was trying to run the offense. This is like when the games are finished and when the season's done, you go away and work on these things. Here's a really good guy to talk to and to get involved, and you can come back a better fundamental thrower of the football. So what if like year one – Trey, or year one offseason, Trey Lance gets himself hooked up with a throwing coach, and suddenly a guy that only had 371 or whatever it is dropbacks reworks his entire mechanics, and now you get this guy that does take a big leap up in terms of accuracy. Yeah, and so I think, and I think when you talk about fits and all that, I go back to the Denver thing, right? I think if you're going to tap into Trey Lance's skill set, you're going to use him as a runner. The Patriots have one of the best pure power run blocking offensive lines in the league, and they will for the foreseeable future. This is the fit. Trey Lance in New England, the way they've built their offense, the two tight end sets and the whole deal, this is the fit. Whereas Denver is going to be more, you know, spread it out, sling it around a little bit. They don't have the best run blocking offensive line. So I like Trey Lance to New England, but I don't love Trey Lance as an investment. The payout could be incredible, though. Yeah. I just don't want to trade up for him. I think that's fair. Do you think that there's something to the idea that if you sit here and let him slide to 15 and he makes it that far, the fact that he made it that far is an indictment itself on how good he is? I I think it's more the... So it's almost like... I think it's more the fact that there's five quarterbacks competing here in a a somewhat deep year. You don't always have a year where there's five quarterbacks who are somewhat coveted or coveted enough in the first round. So it's not... It's not that. I don't think it's an indictment. I really think it's just you're you're in this draft class. In another year, Trey Lance is QB2, right? In another year, he is at the top. In another year, Zach Wilson's the top overall pick or Justin yeah. Fields is the overall top overall pick. Any of those guys could have been. So I don't think it's an indictment. Um, and then I think if you're talking about most likely to leapfrog the Patriots, I think there's why the football team and the Bears are interesting other than needing a quarterback. We talked about the Cam Newton comparison for Trey Lance. Okay, well, Ron Rivera is in Washington. He's He knows how to use a run a quarterback who's going to run that often. I mean, the Vikings have demonstrated a propensity to trade down in the first round a bunch of times. Uh, Washington and Chicago are 19 and 20. 
if Minnesota misses out in the tackle one spot above, that could be the play. Minnesota, I think, would be all too happy to drop down five, six spots, take Vera Tucker or whoever, like a tackle in that spot, pick up whatever it is extra, and Washington or Chicago gets to jump New England and draft Trey Lance. That could be a realistic scenario. And again, I, I'm assuming New England might be more aggressive and willing to trade up. Yeah. But traditional New England is just let it play, let it play, let it play, and bring it to them. Um, and then the Bears, again, you know, they have Andy Dalton as their starter. Yeah. They were going to feel like they're going to have to make a move at the quarterback position. The, big, if, <laughs> the big splash at quarterback that you've been predicting all offseason. Oh, that's what this would have been time. time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here as GM of the Bears, here's, here's what happened as GM of the Bears, because when we get to 20 in the pick, man. That's the one I hate the most because I always do. <laughs> As the GM of the Bears, I was on the phone calling Steve the GM for all these other teams. Yeah, from number Steve, four onwards, yeah, you were yeah. on the phone. But but Steve the GM for every, all oh. other 31 teams wanted nothing to yeah, do with the Bears. told you to go to hell every yeah. time. That's why the Bears' position is so horrible because who wants to get to 20, especially if you you know, might need a quarterback? I don't want to go to 20. Anyway, um, it would be awesome. So pff.com, my entire mock draft there. If, if you're listening on YouTube, if you guys want to write down or somebody type out all the various picks to this point so people can follow along. Um, if you're listening in podcast land, though, you can go to pff.com, pull up the mock, unless you're driving. Yeah. Pull up the mock so you can kind of see it side by side. I know it's tough to keep track of sometimes. Uh, we don't have the ability to put graphics up right now on YouTube or anything like that. So um, Arizona Cardinals at 16, I went Micah Parsons. Um, I would have loved a corner here. I know there's other – I mean, I take Greg Newsom next at corner. Um, I'm just intrigued by Parsons top 10 caliber player here at 16 for the Cardinals who just have added so much to their defense, uh, versatile players to their defense the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious as to what that defense then looks like uh, with that group that they've got. Um, so you add J.J. Watt, you've got Chandler Jones coming back, you've got uh, Marcus Golden was retained. Um, you have last year's first-round pick, Isaiah Simmons, who made that transition to like a true linebacker role from where he'd been in college. Now you add in a Micah Parsons. It's a really interesting group of like front seven players. I'm curious to see how it would actually be sort of deployed on a regular basis. Yeah, and there's a couple reasons why I think Parsons is a good fit for Arizona. He's, the, he's one of the best run defenders that have come out since 2014, in, since we've been doing this. And you're in a division with the Niners who need to run the ball, want to run the ball. Uh, will run the ball the Rams who are going to run it and the Seahawks who want to run it right so I know it's just the division it's six games out of the year but Parsons is good for all of that he allows you to defend the run a little bit better with fewer players in the box I love Parsons being side by side with Isaiah Simmons Simmons brought all that coverage versatility right the guy played safety and free safety and linebacker and all that stuff and he can blitz Parsons is that Dante Hightower-ish linebacker who could actually rush the passer a little bit. Not yeah. just blitz, but rush. So look at that front seven that you mentioned, those three edges that they have, plus Simmons, plus Parsons. So much versatility here. I think you you have to attack corner at some point. Robert Alford's coming back as the starter, potentially opposite Malcolm Butler. It's a big question mark. It's a bit of a risk for me making this move instead of taking another corner, but... I'm intrigued by Parsons in Arizona. Did you know David Parry was on this roster? Oh, man, your guy. <laughs> Look at him just going. Just, just hanging going. on. Just clinging on to the NFL. By the way, I, I know we got a lot to talk about, but there was some news around the NFL while we've been here. Alejandro Villanueva visiting the Baltimore Ravens. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Because they have a starting left tackle in Ronnie Stanley coming off injury. 
a starting right tackle in Orlando Brown who wants to play left tackle and wants to get traded. Are the Ravens just – are they needling the Steelers by bringing him in, or are they really thinking about bringing in Villanueva, putting him in at right tackle, trading Orlando Brown? Because all of these teams that need a left tackle, the Chargers, the Vikings, the Colts, the Chiefs, who am I missing? But those teams definitely need a left tackle. Are they all going to – is there going to be an Orlando Brown trade yeah. ahead of time here? I mean, it could be. I, I think this is definitely – again, it's it's doing due diligence. Like, why would you not learn what you can about Villanueva so that when those phone calls start, you have a better idea of what your alternative options are? Um, maybe they don't love them right now, but maybe they bring in Villanueva, work them out, whatever, and decide either that that's a good or a bad thing. Like you say, all right, yeah, we've actually got an option here. If somebody comes in and wants to throw a first-round pick towards Orlando Brown, hell yeah, we can bring in Villanueva and we're good. Either that or you bring him in, you're like, Poof, that's not going to work. We uh, we actually need to keep him regardless of the offer that comes in. I mean, it just lets you better set a price, a price tag on what Orlando Brown would bring in. Uh, Villanueva is not an ideal fit for what Baltimore does either. He's, no. he's, a, he's a solid pass protector. He's an okay run blocker. He He's certainly not the the run first tackle or the mauling tackle that you would expect. But the you wouldn't Ravens have said that at. Ronnie Stanley was a great fit either. That's true. By those terms. So I that's don't, true. I but Stanley, he's a terrible. good run blocker. He's a better run blocker than Villanueva. But um, So Parsons to the Cardinals. The next few picks, Greg Newsom to the Raiders, cornerback out of Northwestern. Dolphins pick up edge, Quiddy Pay, And then the football team takes wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Mm-hmm. The Raiders, they were the one pick where I was like, man, I, you just can't. You can't move forward as a team unless you've solved the cornerback situation. You just can't. Yeah. Like, they're absolutely screwed unless they get better at corner. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they're just – they're not in a good spot. Like, they I, – I don't know what they're doing is one of the problems with the Raiders. Like, this offseason, their biggest strategy appeared to be to dismantle their offensive line. Just get rid of it. Move it on. And even then, it was like, we're releasing him. Oh, you'll give us something for this guy? Okay, well, let's trade and let's talk trade instead. Uh, it just it feels directionless. Um, and then defense, they've been like throwing. Defense right now appears to be the sort of result, the inevitable consequence of just missing on a bunch of talent evaluations. Like they've tried to completely revamp that defense since the the regime began, and they've missed just across the board on almost everything. And now that you're in a position looking at it, you're like, well, they need everything still. So I think realistically, they're going to look at the secondary, which right now on paper is Trayvon Mullen at corner, Damon Arnett at corner, Nevin Lawson. Uh, Carl Joseph is back along yeah. with Jeff Heath at safety and then Jonathan Abram at safety. I think they're going to look at that and say, Gus Bradley's coming in. It's a new system. It's cover three. It's the old Seattle system and the whole thing. And these guys fit that system. We've discussed that a little bit, right? Um, me, the Raiders GM, can see that world where Trayvon Mullen especially is a decent fit. I, I just have no faith in Arnett. And I know they just drafted him in the first round last year. So they're probably going to roll with this group. And, and you I have can, to write off his year one. Like between concussions, a broken thumb or whatever. Yeah, the dude barely played. And when he was playing, he wasn't healthy. Right. So. And it, I just didn't love him. I, I thought it was a reach coming out of Ohio State. I mean, it was. I'm thing. just saying that like year one shouldn't be impacting the yeah conversation and really. so this isn't even giving up on him you know us it's always you know take positions of value 
add a bunch to it and see what sticks. So my thought process here is I'm throwing Greg Newsom into the mix with Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett, and three is better than two as far as who comes out of it as starting outside corners, and maybe one guy does work out in the slot. But I think Newsom is a good fit for their system. I just know that the Raiders, in a division with Patrick Mahomes, with Justin Herbert and the Chargers, uh, you know, with the Broncos, maybe drafting Mac Jones and all those receivers to cover, they can't move forward as a team. They can't be better than 500 unless they get better in the secondary. So all these other holes, right tackle is an issue right now because of all the movement on the offensive line. You still want more pass rush, right? Mm-hmm. Despite all of that, they have to get the secondary right. And even though I think there's a world where they get better, new system and the whole deal, I think you have to throw more options at it, and cornerback should be in play again for the Raiders at 17. It should. Um, I mean, I they could go a lot of different places. I think they, they still have needs, particularly on defense, everywhere. Like the defense, they just released Maurice Hurst, who was their best defensive lineman. Um, they need defensive line. They need secondary. They need everything. So Greg Newsom, I think, works. I think he's a guy that is rightly going up draft boards as we get closer to this uh, to the draft, I think they could pick defensive line. The next pick, Quiddy Pay, I think would make some sense for the Raiders as well. Um, but yeah, it's just they need to actually start hitting on some of these draft picks. So that's why I went Newsom, and I think he's he's good playing off. You know, he's got a good feel and all that stuff. Eighty three point eight coverage grade last year broke out. I like Newsom for the Raiders. Quiddy Pay for the uh, Dolphins that fits a, a need there. That's the first edge off the board. That's the other potential story in this draft here. There'll be a slight run on edges here in these next few picks in my mock. But 18 being the first guy that comes off the board in yeah. a place where who the heck knows who the top edge is going to be in this entire draft. It's a position that the NFL usually covets and chases and pushes higher up draft boards than they should generally go. Um, and this year where it's just chaos, nobody's played very much. Uh, even the players that have played a lot, there's concerns about them. Um, there's guys missing seasons. There's guys with injury concerns. There's red flags all over the place. It's like which gamble is your favorite? Like, none of these guys are this clean, Chase Young style of prospect. You're going to have to roll the dice somewhere if you need an edge rusher. How early are you willing to do that? And which guy is the one that you're willing to do it on? That, I think, is one of just the general storylines of this entire draft is how those edge rushers shake out. So, yeah, I, I like this. And I'd be surprised if one lasted this long, though I don't think it's inconceivable. Now, remember what I said. Realistically, on draft night running back is in play stop it, it running no. backs in play for the dolphins we're it not isn't. talking about it again yes running no. back's gonna be in play no and then we'll talk about running back when pittsburgh comes up as well yeah that one i'm coming around to football team taking rashad bateman love it I, again i think they've done a lot with curtis samuel added adam humphreys to the mix but man bateman as a true two opposite terry mclaurin push samuel and humphreys down the depth chart right we got a great email about that yeah. as well did you want to get into that at all? That was a good just one. I, yeah. There's some guy that was saying he started using your push the wide receiver down the depth chart thing just in the regular day to day life, and people looked at him like he was crazy. Yeah, eh, they, it doesn't always apply yeah, to everything. Steve isms out in the uh, the, the natural <laughs> world. So McLaren, your complex metaphors might though. Yeah, McLaren is an interesting guy because I think he actually is quite a a good comp for Bateman in a weird way. Bateman is in this weird world now where you're looking at him, you're like, well, you're two inches shorter and like 10 pounds lighter than everybody thought you were. What do we do with that? Like that sort of changes a lot of what we thought about you. On the other hand, like McLaren is six foot 
okay, he's 210 listed, so he's heavier. But he's this sort of, he's actually not that big a receiver, but he plays like it. He plays bigger than that. He makes those plays. And I, I mean, Bateman doesn't need to be McLaren because McLaren's already there. But if Bateman can just do what he was doing anyway, as a number two now, it doesn't really matter that he's smaller than we thought he was and maybe not as big. Like he, it takes pressure off him if he's the number two to McLaren and lets him sort of still do that stuff without having to contend with, you know, dealing with monster corners as the number one. And this is, I'm, I'm all about taking, it's okay to take your second receiver in the first round. Well, I'm certainly more okay with it here than at 11. And this is why, so you've got a guy like Rashad Bateman who can do everything has yeah. proven he can do everything. You have, and he's going eight picks lower than Waddle, who we don't know if he can do everything. Like, this is why I don't think you take a guy like Waddle at number 11, because you can wait until 19 and get a guy who might be better and could do more, and it doesn't cost you as much. Trying to hit a home run here. Yeah. Trying to chase unicorns, Steve. <sighs> Chicago Bears at 20. Hmm. Look, Bears fans, I know you're upset with this pick. It's not my fault, though. It's your, fault. it's your fault, in fact. It's not my fault. No, no, no. The Bears. It's your fault. Oh, it's, yeah. It's the Bears' fault. Yeah. The Bears fans. Let's blame the fans. Because they were clamoring for Mitchell after 2018. They didn't identify Mitchell as a mistake after 2018. Every one of those people that, that push for that, this is your fault. So Bears fans. Reap what you sow. Yes. And you sowed crap. You sowed a safety in the first round. So a safety. Okay. Trevon Morick. The best safety in the class. Patrols the middle of the field gracefully and he gets to the right place not like not like andre cisco from <laughs> syracuse who gracefully goes to the wrong spot yeah that's that's not great maury gets to the right spot yeah. fantastic compliment to eddie jackson i do think that's true i look it's unexciting it's a safety it's like it's a bit of a punchline. on the other hand i do think it would make a real impact to that secondary and actually make them a lot better yeah thank you much the same way that, look, Andy Dalton, safeties, Andy and Dalton to Trubisky, it's the same thing, right? It's unexciting. It's like, it's a bit of a joke. It's kind of funny. You probably but he got is better. an upgrade. You probably got better. Right. Yeah. Like, I think fairly significantly. But it's significantly, still, but nah, he's, an, he's a significant upgrade over Trubisky. It's just that he's not, depends on your definition of significant, right? It is, is a the, quantifiable large jump between one guy and the other. On the other hand, it hasn't actually changed your fortunes, which is you're still not good enough to win with him. Is this the dead cat uh, analogy again? Like if, if, let's say after 2018, yeah. Trubisky, it, it was his second year in the NFL. They just won the division. His stats were really pretty. And we evaluated him as still not very good, Trubisky. And the Bears saw that, identified it, and said, you know what? If you put in this environment where Trubisky excelled you put an Andy Dalton who's an upgrade over the dead cat in Trubisky they were Bears fans would be so upset because you're in, in this mentality like wait we just won the division and Trubisky put up these numbers and he's only in year two and he's only going to get better in year three and better in year four and he's going to get better and better and better and they were like hold up all we need is league average quarterback which Trubisky was not in 2018 we need league average Andy Dalton over Trubisky and they made this move before the 2019 season, say, whatever. Is that the dead cat theory? No. Okay. And this is why you shouldn't be allowed mess with metaphors unsupervised. I'm it, just saying, but people were, they're itching for, because Trubisky was still the unknown to that point, right? So my point is, Dalton is the no. You know what you're going to get from Andy Dalton. You're yes. going to get league average-ish type of play from right. Andy Dalton. Which is better than a dead cat because he's not dead. 
Like, Kevin King is bad, which is why he's the dead cat. Oh, okay. Andy Dalton isn't bad. He's just unexciting and not good enough. No, I was viewing Trubisky as the as the dead cat. Oh, well, he wasn't at that point dead either. Like, he could have been – he was more – stop it. You've ruined the metaphor. <laughs> you're, no, you're breaking – stop. It was, stop oh, right. now. Well, so it's box number one versus box number two. I guess my point is there was still this supposed unknown to what Trubisky could be. There was still yeah. this hope. Right. And they could have gone with when you, when you have a young quarterback who's been bad and there's any glimmer of him getting better, whether it's like on tape with the eye test and PFF grade that says he's improving or whether it's just the numbers have jumped from one year to the other. People jump on like young quarterbacks deal in hope. That's their their currency. So as soon as you see any reason to be hopeful, you buy into it. Now, PFF, like our thing is, look, we're trying to unbiasedly evaluate all these guys and we don't care about hope. Like just because it would suit you if this guy worked out better is of no real interest to us. So like, we're going to look at what we think is actually happening. And with Trubisky, we never saw any evidence of him getting any better and therefore never pushed it. But if you're Chicago fans, of course you would jump on the idea that, hey, his numbers have jumped up year two. Next year, we get him even better. And the year after that, now he's an all pro. Like... It makes sense. I understand why it happened. It's just unlucky. Like, that wasn't happening. So I'm, I'm also curious where Bears fans want to go, right? So you lose you lose Tayshawn Gibson in the secondary. Eddie Jackson's really good. Well, They would be a good compliment. Less you bring Bears in Desmond fans, Trufant. But more, what do the Johnson. Bears want to do? Like, what, are they, what, what is the goal of Pace, et cetera, who must be on a short leash at this point? Like, what is their intent with this draft? I think if... if Again, if things play out the way I had them play out and Mac Jones is there at 9 and Trey Lance is there at 15, the Bears might try to go get a Trey Lance. Right. And even like even with this pick, right? It does does a safety I mean, it, it, not only is it unexciting, but is it actually helping them the way they need to be helped? No, well the point is nothing moves the needle with this pick. Enough. Right? So in every other first round scenario, you could have traded it to Seattle along with everything else you possess for Russell Wilson. They, there's no way they would do that. <laughs> Seattle wouldn't do that. I'm just saying, like, every other pick, Seattle I'm like, oh, look that? at how Micah Parsons fits in and makes the Cardinals better. Look at how Barmore, even though they have two starters at a position, look at how he makes Minnesota better. There's nobody that you pick with the Bears at 20. It's just like, okay, you filled a starting safety, you filled in a starting safety, or you he, grabbed a receiver to play opposite Allen Robinson. You know, that could be a play. I just, I, I think the receiver on our board the receiver talent drops off just a little bit because Bateman just came off the board. If Bateman right. gets the pick there, that's fine. You don't think that there's a deal that the Chicago Bears could put on the table that, <clears throat> excuse me, joking to death, that Seattle would take. They can't construct an offer that Seattle would take for Russell no. Wilson. No. Really? Because you think Seattle, the, the Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks are watching the PFF NFL podcast right now. Okay. Right? That's nice. And this deal comes through. I'm just predicting. This deal comes through from the Chicago Bears. Yeah. And the Seahawks front office is having this discussion. They're like, you know what? That could be us in that PFF NFL podcast segment. That could be us sitting there at 20 with no quarterback and no hope. And we're going to draft a safety that's going to move the needle nowhere or draft a receiver that does nothing. You think Seattle's itching to get into Chicago's spot? Who no. wants to go become the Bears right now? You're not itching for it, but they're about to throw you three drafts. No, because then you're the Bears with draft capital. 
There's no way Seattle's sitting no, no, there no. and they're you're, like, door. You're not the Bears because you. Door have, number one is Russell Wilson. Door number two is the Bears with draft picks. It's the Bears plus all of your draft capital. Like you have two drafts for three years. You can find a quarterback with that. Can you? Probably. Can you really? Maybe. No. I'm just saying, there's a point That's which... why they're not trading Russell Wilson. I don't want to become the team that's trading for Russell Wilson. I don't want to become that team. I don't want to exchange <laughs> but, lives with them. But you, I think there's a case to be made that they don't think that Russell Wilson is as good as other people do. Now, I think they think he's good, but I think there's definitely a scenario whereby Pete Carroll wants to establish the run, get a relative game-managing quarterback. They threw big money at Matt Flynn, for God's sake. This team is not like embrace the idea that Russell Wilson is the savior and we must do everything possible to keep him around. If you rolled in there and said, we have these picks for the next three years, it's all yours, plus Khalil Mack and a other starter somewhere. I mean, it'd be fun if I was playing Madden. I just it'd think it'd be there's, fun. There's a, there is a deal at which point the Seahawks would be prepared to move Russell Wilson, even with the understanding that they have nothing to replace him with right now. Oh, man, I don't... I just can't see... I mean, it was just like with the all the Deshaun Watson trade talks and all that stuff. And plus, again, if you're if you're Russell Wilson, why do you want to go to a team that's worse than the team you that you're with, Are and they then worse? they have no draft capital? Are they worse? The Bears? Yeah. The Bears with no with no draft over the next three years? Yes, they're worse than Seattle. But the Bears right now are not dissimilar to Seattle, and they don't have a quarterback. No, that's true. I mean, if you do take the quarterbacks out of the equation and you're just isolating the rosters, there's not a massive difference between the Bears and the Seahawks. Yeah, and if anything, Chicago's might be better, and then you sweep Russell Wilson onto that, and now you're cooking. Yeah, but it's Seattle minus all the stuff that your new team has to give up. And I know Seattle only has three draft picks as well, but yeah. if you go to the Bears, you're going to the Bears with Allen Robinson, Khalil Mack, and then you know Maybe. UDFAs for the next three years. <laughs> Well, it's going to be a good year for UDFAs next year. And there's going oh, to be a million there's going to be 9,000 yeah. players in the draft there you next go. Yeah, year. You don't so need don't your draft. That's the real game. Like the galaxy brain thing here is next year we don't actually need any draft picks because the UDFA market is going to be so this good. Is, the Rams after are four this years year. in, you know, yeah, yeah. in front here. So there you go. Next year, trade everything. Maybe that's what Seattle's actually doing. They're like, we have three draft picks this year just because. I mean, there have to be teams that are, that are gaming that. It's not an insignificant not, movement. I told you, it's people. not gaming, though, because it's it's all it is. If guys were going back to school this year, yeah. it's because they weren't getting drafted in the top seven rounds this year. Maybe. They probably weren't getting drafted. Maybe they just didn't like the chaos. That's that's possible. Anyway, Bears at 20. Take Trevon Morig, and you're going to like it. <laughs> Indianapolis Colts at 21. Uh, we've talked about. Uh, we talked about tackle and wide receiver for them a lot. I go edge Jason Owe from Penn State. It's it's a value play. It's still a need. It's still a fit for what they do and what they want out of their guys. Um, I just didn't love the tackle and wide receiver value at this point here. Yeah. Um, I, Owe, I think, is a very Indianapolis Colts pick. Um, super athlete. Good, not great production. I feel like this is a team that consistently thinks that they can bridge that gap and get a guy's potential out of him if he's a special athlete. Titans at 22. We go Jalen Phillips out of UCLA. So they have Harold Landry there. They bring in Bud Dupree, but Landry's in the last year of his contract. And I don't know if he's been okay. He's disappointed a little bit compared to where we thought he would be at this point. Played over 1,000 snaps last year. One of only two guys, him and uh, uh, J.J. Watt. On the on the D line, but mm -hmm. I think Phillips is a 
it's a long-term play potential home run given all the as we said concussion issues and but he he's edge one on a lot of people's boards and in a normal year I don't mind this play for the Titans even though they've got two starters at edge for this year it's a longer term play for them yeah and there's a very real chance that he could start over either one of those guys if he is as good as some people think he is because of the nature of those two guys like Harold Landry has been a disappointment compared to where we thought he would be um but Dupree is this classic case of fool's gold who is going to look worse in Tennessee than he did in Pittsburgh it's also okay to have three edge rushers like Again, it's okay yeah. and, so it's the Vikings and, argument yeah like those three guys into two spots is not incompatible on a defensive front where you rotate guys and keep them fresh and part of this is saying Landry's in the last year of his contract it's a forward-looking approach yeah the one concern here is that cornerback you have Christian Fulton slated to start we like him it's fine there should be more um draft capital used at corner from a board standpoint, the next two corners on our board, though, is the next pick, Caleb Farley, and then Asante Samuel. I, I just don't know if I want to take them at that point at 22 if I'm the Titans. For Farley, I've purposely put him to the Jets because I'm just going to continue to say I'm taking that chance if I'm the Jets or the Jags and I have the multiple first-round picks. Yeah, Farley, it's just it's a hard one for a, like a draft analyst to actually talk about because it's a medical concern. It's a medical question. It's not It's not a play question. Like Farley... Farley's projection as a player in terms of on the field is completely independent from his projection on where he should go in the draft because the only concern is medical. Like his traits are special, like freaky special. And I think on on the field only, he would be my number one corner and I'd be talking about him at the top 10 or to that spot to Dallas where he was projected to go for a couple of months. But it's a case of I don't know really enough or anything about his back injury and what that is going to do going forward. So who the hell knows? Yeah, I, my, my what I'm curious about is with teams, are they – is it binary, yes or no? Like this guy's off yeah. our board. And I think or, 32 teams, 32 different interpretations yeah. of that. Some guys are going to take him off. Some guys it's not going to be an issue. Some guys it's going to be like, hey, we ding this guy X picks, whatever. Yeah, I, in my in my hypothetical world here as the GM of the Jets, which, you know, could have – could have, should have happened two years ago. Mm. I don't have the shirt on. Palazzolo for GM? Yeah. Paluzzo? We're not at the Steelers pick yet. <laughs> One more. Um, uh. I'm assuming that our medical doctors came and said, look, there's risk. There's, eight, you know, drop them 80% or drop them 60% or whatever it is. There's risk with Caleb Farley. And I'm willing to incur that risk because I've got the extra first round pick. So now the, the Jamal Adams trade from the Jets to the Seahawks essentially bought us a Caleb Farley lottery ticket. I love that. I'm going to trade Jamal Adams for a Caleb Farley lottery ticket as a cornerback needy team. I'm probably going to draft another corner on the turn in the 30s, which I might do in the uh, is it a three-round mock draft we're doing with all of our analysts? Or? It's full seven. Is it seven? Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, in our mock draft that we're doing as analysts, uh, this, could, this could happen again. So, anyway, love the payoff of, of Farley there, potentially for the Jets. Steelers at 24, Sam. Hmm. Mr. Paluzzo. So many signs pointing toward the Steelers drafting a running back. Yes. Many signs. Najee Harris. Most of them, in fact. Is is potentially the guy. Now, once again, going back to my Pittsburgh radio stints where they, I didn't mean running backs <laughs> don't help you win games at all. Because that's exactly what you said. It is exactly what yeah. I said. But can I try an analogy again? Oh, no. Drafting a running back in the first round, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, is hanging the curtains when you don't have the foundation. What? Yeah. 
you don't have the foundation of your team yet. What was the? This was what you said the Texans were doing. What yeah. did you say the Texans were doing? I, like picking elaborate plaster work without having like, the foundation a, a, a walls. Um, okay. Same thing. I've been trying to come up with a good analogy as to what the running back thing is for Pittsburgh, and I've been struggling, even though it seems like a really simple concept and one that should leap forward and present itself quite easily. For some reason, I can't nail it down. The closest I can come up with is, like, if you've got a house and it's got, like, a damp problem, you know, and the damp problem is putting, like, mold on the walls and, like, the discoloration on your paint and all that kind of stuff, you're like, ah, oh, man, I need to – this is an unpleasant place to be, this room right now. I need to fix it. And your fix to this is, all right, let's just repaint the wall. We go in there, we repaint the wall. Look, it's lovely, white, and shiny. But you didn't fix the damp problem, right? <laughs> so it's just going to happen again. So this is Pittsburgh. It's, your run game has fallen to pieces. It's collapsed. It's all crumbling around you. It's getting manky. So you're like, oh, that's all right. Well, it's just new lick of paint. Bring in Najee Harris. Bring in Travis, whatever we're calling this guy now. Um, bring in Williams. Like, bring in a new running back. That's a new shiny coat of paint. Fixes everything. Like, yeah, but you haven't fixed the underlying problem, so it's just going to crumble. With that, you didn't fix the damp issue, which is your offensive line falling to ribbons. So until you fix that, the running back is almost irrelevant. You're not going to find a guy that can consistently offset the fact that your offensive line is no longer capable of run blocking particularly well. That's, I mean, that's the bottom line there. I think it was uh, Pat Thorman uh, on Twitter was recently showing, um, using our numbers and someone else's numbers, um, the decline. Here it is. Their run block grade the last five years. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where the run game has gone yes okay they went from fourth in 2016 to seventh to 12th to 23rd in 2019 to 31st last year he even used he used football outsiders adjusted line yards it's a similar drop off so pat was trying to show the fact that it's the run blocking so this is the point and um, i was a part of a a healthy rant on uh, pittsburgh television or whatever because of what i said you know a running back i I was extreme. I said, yeah, if you pick a running back in the first round, you'll be picking in the top 10 next year. Mm. I think realistically, the Steelers are primed to do what the Packers did last year and come out of draft day with C's and D's from us. They're going to draft a running back. They'll probably get a starting center. That's fine. Uh, maybe they won't even pick good players. Who knows? But I still think Ben Roethlisberger being on the, on the team, as much as he was not good last year for most of the year, like, there's a world where Big Ben is a top 10 to 15 quarterback again, I think. I don't think it's... Like, I'm not going to buy into just steep decline and it stays like that forever. There's a world where Big Ben chucks it around a little bit better than he did last year. They still have a good group of receivers. And the defense will be probably one of the better defenses in the NFL. I think expecting top three again is rich, but they'll be pretty good. So there's a world where the Steelers have a terrible draft, make bad decisions. They draft a running back and they win 11 games again. So I don't know that you're going to see the uh the the you know the the issues you're like you're not gonna you're not gonna feel you might not feel how bad the draft is if you draft a running back and you don't make great picks you might not feel it because they have other pieces in place however if the goal is to be better than last year and the goal is to beat the ravens and the browns in that division and the goal is to win a super bowl drafting a first round running back this year is not going to do it because the offensive line to your point has absolutely fallen apart the goal i think is to fix what the underlying issue is and that's the problem is that you need to correctly identify what that is and if your analysis on what went wrong last year 
remember, this was the last undefeated team in the NFL. They were 11-0. and They were the best team on paper in the league at a period of time when everyone else had lost games. Now, we were saying they weren't the best team in the NFL at that point. But we weren't saying they were bad either, right? There was a pretty substantial collapse down the stretch. And if your reflection and self-scouting and the post-mortem on what happened last season to try and figure out what went wrong is to say, man, if only we'd had a more powerful dominant running game and what's the best way of achieving that? It's the running back. You're just, you're wrong. Like you missed it. You've, you've got it. You've come to the incorrect conclusion based off all of the evidence presented to you. And that would, uh, drafting a running back in the first round would essentially just be um, indicative of that blown process. And, and this comes back to what we say a lot too. I don't know if teams are great at properly assessing what happened. They're, they, they're like, they're just emotional roller coasters. The fans are at least. The fans are saying, well, the last game we lost, we threw 68 times. Can't do that. Can't throw 68 times and win. I mean, they scored like 35 points or whatever it was, right? They scored a ton of points in part because they were just chucking it around all the time. Um, but the point is, well, Big Ben's not going to throw those picks and this and that. Can you properly look at the Steelers and say that they were, were they actually an 11 and 5 team last year? They were. But could you should you look back and say actually in the regular season their offense grade PFF offense grade was sixty eight point six, that's 29th in the NFL, right below the Bengals and the Jaguars as an overall it's not weighted or anyway but that's bad. Yeah, they but, were a nine and seven team last year that landed at eleven and five. Eh, I think you could say their defense was good enough that eleven and five is the right record. They just arrived at it in a weird way. Well, well, that's the point too. So if you're saying they have a lot of these, they they've lost players from their offense that ranked 29th yes. in PFF and they had a defense that's that has the been top problem. and they have a defense that's been top 3 the last two right. years that has to regress plus they've gotten worse there they've got some serious issues going into next year unless big ben turns back the clock that's the only thing they need to have big ben make an aaron rodgers like resurgence not to mvp status but go from qb 20 to qb 10 that's the Steelers' only hope right now is Big Ben, Fountain of Youth. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is that, look, hey, I think 11-5 was about right last year. It just it was a strange way of getting there. The bigger problem that they have is that the offense was the problem last season, and the offense has gotten worse on paper, and your attempt to fix it is looking likely to be plug a first-round running back in there. I, you, I don't know that you can find a way of making less of an impact on that offense than drafting a first-round running back is my point. Like, literally anything else you could choose to do would have a bigger impact on that offense than taking a first-round running back, unless you do what the Packers did in terms of drafting a backup quarterback in the first round. That's the only way you could make less impact on your offense next year than drafting a first-round running back. Good job. You read me. You saw you prolonged the statement just a little bit. I was just trying to tweet out to tell Steelers fans I'm explaining why you don't want a first-round running back. Mm. So I take Asante Samuel here. Which I so, like that fit. And I, I love the Asante. So I'm going to be positive for Pittsburgh right okay. here. Asante Samuel Jr. makes so much of a bigger impact and, and look there's some boomer bust two corners so you could get torched in year one there's some boomer bust to it but this is the play you have to make right now you've got Cameron Sutton and Justin Lane as your starters I like Cameron Sutton he's fine he'll probably step in and take most of those slot snaps from Mike Hilton they have major issues at cornerback now I always use the division as an example maybe this division you can handle 
two cornerbacks rather than three. But again, we're only talking six games. I know it's the Ravens. The Ravens are a run-heavy team, and the Browns, they're two wide receiver heavy, and the Bengals might not draft Jamar Chase and have three wide receivers to cover. Who knows? But you still want to be three deep at corner. Justin Lane has not played all that well early in his career. Cameron Sutton's solid. So that's risky. I mean, it's a lot riskier going in with Justin Lane than it is going with Benny Snell at running back because you could turn Benny Snell into something reasonable if you improve your run blocking in the offensive line. And honestly, you know how you improve your run blocking? You pass the ball better. You throw the ball better down the field, and that opens up the running game. So Steelers fans, you can make the running game better by doing a whole bunch of other stuff besides drafting a running back. But I love Asante Samuel as a fit for the Steelers defense, and I know I know you do too. Yeah, I really do. I mean, again, I'm I'm always I'm struggling with how much of my uh, analysis on Asante Samuel Jr. is colored by the fact that I know what Asante Samuel Sr. did in the NFL, and I believe them to be essentially clones of one another. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm I can't work out if that's a how much that is actually leading my analysis, and b if it's even wrong, like. Antoine Winfield Jr. was a similar thing. He played a lot like his dad, and that appears to have translated pretty successfully right off the bat. So is it actually a mistake to be saying, well, this guy reminds me a lot, plays the game a lot like his dad, therefore we can project some of the same success and traits? I don't know. I don't know. I'm struggling with it generally. I think it's, again, I think the, um, maybe I'm talking to fans too often here. Yes, I know, I know Joe Hayden's on the team. He's mm-hmm. one cornerback. Yes. The other cornerback spot. Okay, here's who else could fill that. Sutton. Cameron Sutton. Fine. Justin Lane, James Pierre, Trevor Williams, Antoine Brooks Jr., Steven Denmark. Those are your other options. So you need another outside corner, and Sutton can play in the slot. Also, Hayden's getting on. Like, at some point, you probably need to think about life beyond Joe Hayden. Yes, Hayden's just okay at corner. You need to be good there, or you've got no shot. So it's a long-term play. It's a short-term play. Joe Hayden's 32 years old. Like, yeah. You, the Steelers need corners more than they need a running back. Hell yeah. Far more than they need a running back. So so that's why. Um, what was the other? It, here's the other funny thing, right? The Steelers suck at evaluating corners. That's what's been saying, been said here. Okay. You still, have, you still need corners, though. You can't just say, well, and, and here's the deal. They were going to draft William Jackson. And then they panicked and took Artie Burns, the next pick. Because, but they were going to draft. It's not. It's sometimes it's just who you have the opportunity to select. And if you reach but also for that, a need, that's not a reason to draft a running back. No, oh, we're bad at drafting this position, so let's take a position that won't change anything. So anyway, the um, the Pittsburgh rant was pretty funny because he was like Paluzzo. He called me Paluzzo, mm. and then he said, well, "Have you ever heard of the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry? You know, noted first round pick." Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. Yes, Derrick Henry does help the Titans win football games, which is why my extreme statement was a little bit too much. Yeah. However, Derrick Henry, third rounder, and if you're doing that A-B analysis that we were doing earlier, Derrick Henry's been a part of the Tennessee Titans for many years. Yeah. That offense did not turn the corner until A.J. Brown showed up and Ryan Tannehill took over. Now, you could do A-B analysis on Tannehill, as well and say he was average until he got to Tennessee but what was it what has made Ryan Tannehill a 90 plus PFF grade quarterback the last couple years is it Derrick Henry Derrick Henry was 11th in the NFL in rushing until Tannehill took over at starter yeah 
So is Derrick Henry the catalyst? That point on, he's been or is it one. the fact, or is it Tannehill taking a step forward, along with AJ Brown and an emerging Corey Davis? Yeah, and also again, and a good scheme. Again, like don't go chasing unicorns. Even if Derrick Henry is the one guy carrying an entire offense on his back right now, if he's one out of thirty-two, don't go trying to replicate that. That's not the way to do it. Yeah. I think I think this is pretty obvious here, and you know some fans are are on board, but um, I think again selecting Najee Harris, Travis, Travis E from Clemson, Javante Williams, the top running back on our board, any of those guys would be absolute mistakes. And now, if you're saying a year ago the offensive line was in good shape, they had three good corners, the the argument a year ago was better. It still wasn't good, yeah, but it was better, and you just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Too many other holes, Steelers. The running back's not going to solve things. All right, Jaguars at 25. I go Elijah Moore. You okay with this? <sighs> not really. Elijah Hater. I'll accept it. Vertical slot. A vertical slot to go with him and DJ Chark. So this is like the Giants thing, yeah. right? My, I mean, my thing with him is just, like, what is the upside? What is, what is his ceiling in the NFL. Are you going to tell me it's not Tyree Kill, therefore he's not worth it at 25? No, I'm going to tell you that I don't think it's very high, period. Really? Like, what can, where, where, how high can he get? As, as far as what? What's his ceiling? Uh, Renner's comp in the draft guide was faster Cole Beasley. Okay. If you're telling me that I was going to get Cole Beasley plus type of production out of Elijah Moore... And he's going to be that. That's the guy that he's going to be for Trevor Lawrence. And I've got DJ Chark on the roster as a legitimate down the field threat. I have Marvin Jones for two years as a legitimate possession type of threat, back shoulder game. Love that fit with with um, with Trevor Lawrence. And then you have Lavisca Chenault, who gets to be pushed, who gets to be equal on the depth chart with Elijah Moore, but as a wild card. Lavisca Chenault's range of outcomes still could be wide receiver one. But he has a floor of gimmick player, slot, run some wildcat, end around stuff, just get the ball in his hands. I love that mix of wide receivers. I love my basketball team, the starting four. Yeah, wide but what you're there. doing is just articulating a general need for wide receiver, which is fine. And not in. But Elijah I'm not Moore is. That. So he's the, he's the best slot in this class. But he also has that four three speed where I think he could be more than that. He has he can be a vertical threat as well, even if it is from the slot, Sam. But so does or like, as a move receiver, as a Z. Like he doesn't yeah, have but, to face press all the time. But so does like Jalen Darden, who you can get in the third round. Like my my point is getting there's a difference between getting a player who can be successful and productive at the next level and maximizing the value for that draft pick. We've the point with Elijah Moore is that if he is limited to just being a slot receiver, even one that can win vertically at the NFL level, you're not, it's too safe. You're not actually chasing the, the value that you can get with that pick. You should be looking for a wide receiver that can do more, that can make a bigger impact than that, who then can also be dumped into the slot and still succeed because all good wide receivers can do that. I'm willing to take this chance if I'm the Jags too. Okay, fine. I think, I think knock yourself speed. out. I know you make some you make some good points about Elijah Moore. You're going to hear a lot of us debating on the PFF NFL draft show, draft night Thursday night 7 p.m. Friday night 6 p.m. Saturday 11 a.m. We're covering rounds four through seven and all the big stories, and then Sunday it's noon. 
recapping the entire draft. So fr- Thursday through Sunday, stick with us over at pff.com. That's right. It's going to be right on the website. You can use the draft. I keep the draft guide handy. You get over 300 player profiles. Don't forget the 30% off draft 30, draft 30. So that's your game plan over these next couple weeks. You go to pff.com, use promo code draft 30, 30% off, grab your elite or edge subscription, and then sit with us all draft weekend thursday through sunday starting thursday night at 7 p.m we'll be here with some bonus podcasts as well so um be sure to do that and get ready as a steelers hater this guy tweeted me he definitely wants them to take a running back see Mm. that's another way of looking at this right what what does everyone want you to do or what do they not want you to do if the people that hate you want you to take a running back yeah if they're happy with your pick you probably didn't pick right just think twice just think twice about it all right, Browns at 26, taking Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa. Like it. Ravens taking Edge, Aziz Ojolari. And the Saints taking wide receiver Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU. We've been using that pick a couple times, haven't we? I think we? all of these picks have been. Uh, no, the Ravens the one is new. Um, but definitely the Browns getting JOK, I think, is one of the picks that has been happening a lot and I like a lot. Um, I think he fills a need, gives them versatility, starts stacking up the versatile players on that defense in a way they can only be good. So I really like that move. Uh, Terrace Marshall. T- see, this is, to me, Terrace Marshall is a significantly better gamble to take in the low first round than Elijah Moore. Now, Elijah Moore might be a better player, but Terrace Marshall has higher potential, can do more things, can win in different ways, and has size to be able to succeed on the outside. And if that happens, he can do what Elijah Moore can do plus more. So I would be way more keen on taking that gamble even if he's a less productive and less proven player. I could be talked into that. I mean, there was a point earlier in this offseason where we said Terrace Marshall was more of a second rounder on our board um, before we reshuffled it. And I said, he'd be a great second round fit for the Jags and for Trevor Lawrence. Um, he is similar to Marvin Jones in that you just uh, you just let him go up and get it. Terrace Marshall has the highest contested catch percentage of any recent NFL prospect. Mm. So when they're in college, number one out of 63 qualifiers, 59.9%. So, and again, when I watch Trevor Lawrence play, I want those types of receivers as well because I think he, he makes those throws well. He makes back, he throws back shoulders and he makes tight window throws pretty well. It's a great, that, that number though is a great reason why this is like not a great thing to be leading with if that's your, your, you know, your initial pitch. I'm not saying that's the only thing I know, he I know, does. But just generally, right? Like the idea that if the first thing you say, this is probably the, this feels like the first time I've said this, this this draft season it's about time you that's what i mean yourself like if if the first thing you're telling me about a wide receiver prospect is his contested catch skills it probably means he's not a very good wide receiver because the best receiver we have seen in the last several years catches 60 percent under 60 percent of his contested targets so it's it's just not a high percentage play and you catch about 90 percent of your open targets yes and he he does that against college uh, cornerbacks not nfl ones so it's just a bad way of measuring anything because it's not it's not a good percentage play. So he's not Marshall's not Kelvin Benjamin though because he does get open right. too. He's not that. I'm just saying that that is that the fact that the best receiver in college football for the past few years in terms of catching contested catches is still under 60%. Right. It shows why that is a bad thing to be hanging your hat on if that's all you're hanging your hat on. This was Nikhil Harry. Because it's a small sample size and low percentage yes, compared to other this things. was Nikhil Harry, right? It's like the, the only thing that anybody was ever going to tell you about Nikhil Harry is how great at the catch point he was. Nothing else, because he didn't really have anything else. That is bad. 
Um, so I, Terrace Marshall, you could talk me into Terrace Marshall at 25 for the Jags. The other team, the, I, I also considered tackle for the Jags there for that future looking. We're yeah. going to replace Cam Robinson. Didn't love the guys there. But I liked Marshall for the Saints in part the same reason that I, I think Trevor Lawrence takes those chances. Jameis Winston's now the quarterback. So if you give him <laughs> the big bodied receiver who wins at the catch point, that's closer to maximizing Jameis Winston's skill set. You combine him with Michael Thomas. You got Traquan Smith, Deontay Harris. Now that receiving core is is shaping up pretty good. That's some real shade thrown at the way of uh, Taysom Hill there. Oh, uh, you have Tamus throwing the ball to Saints receivers. By the way, Aziz Ojolari might be the most Ravens player in this entire first round. You know, he's he's got that old school three four outside backer build. There's on film he's taken on three hundred sixty pound Deontay Brown pulling guard from Alabama, and he's just standing him up in the run game um i like ojalari pairing with tyus bowser and pernell mcphee another another place where i add a third edge to the mix and i think the ravens would would use ojalari pretty well i'm interested to see what they do they drafted a linebacker round one last year are the ravens going to be in this elijah moore terrace marshall type of mix late in the first and getting the receiver that you've been wanting to give them i think that's a fair question mm-hmm um, wrapping it up, the last three, four picks. Green Bay Packers, I go tackle Tevin wow. Jenkins. Don't Offensive love it. Offensive line center. Yeah, old lines and, yeah. Tevin Jenkins, a tackle. Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard slash tackle, goes to the Bills. And then Dylan Radon's the tackle, goes to the Chiefs. That feels like an absolute steal for Buffalo. I mean, Vera Tucker, I think, is going a lot higher than that on a lot of boards, and I think probably should. Um, see, I, I don't see other boards enough. Is he going mid-first round? Yeah, I think so. Really? A lot of people have him. So yeah. the Vikings could really be in play there at 14. Yeah, uh, particularly with the scenario we painted where if they, you know, trade down and snagged him in, like, whatever, 1920, that would be, like, a dream for them, I think. He reminds a little bit of Isaiah Wynn. Now, he's played – Wynn played only tackle yeah. at Georgia, but you've got the shorter guy where some of the NFL is going to have him as guard. Some might keep him a tackle. I don't know how many teams are keeping Vera Tucker a tackle. Doesn't sound like many. Okay. Um, he definitely has a guard build, um, an arm length and all that stuff. But he looked really smooth when he had to play tackle last year, other than the one game against Oregon. Um, but Vera Tucker's excellent in pass protection. Um, and he'll have, he's got some pretty good run blocking reps there, too. He just, he's got some stickiness to him as a blocker. That's how I've described it. Hmm. St- he, you know, the, the old lineman might call a, it finish. He's got some stickiness. Yeah. I was going to say, is that a, uh, an, an, what is it, old line masterminds approved terminology? Have you run that by the I'm powers gonna, of B? I'm a three-time keynote speaker at the Cool Clinic, <laughs> soon to be four-time keynote speaker at the Cool Clinic. I, I create the, my uh, own offensive line. I terminology. saw the picture. Your you, your your picture along with the other humans at this thing was just a PFF logo. Well, they didn't know it was me necessarily oh, yet. Okay, um, I might call Bob Wiley and tell him I need a screenshot. Yeah, I need, a, I need headshot. a headshot. Send him the headshot. Because it's Joe, like Joe Thomas is right. there and Paul Alexander and Bob Wiley and all these, you know, famous offensive line folks. And Steve. But Joe Thomas isn't a four-time cool clinic it's speaker. Not, no. This is like, this is his debut. Yeah. I might need to send Joe some advice. Maybe you should. On this. How do you speak to these? Well, for a start, don't do it from the farm where the internet's a little bit sketchy. Yeah, you yeah. Get yourself a, a solid hotspot. I might write him. I might, I might write him, send some actual mail up to the farm with some, <laughs> with some advice. Old school. Um, Tevin Jenkins to the Packers. I, P- Jared Evans from P- I have PFF people calling me out. Oh yeah, hates this pick, Jared. Okay. From the fantasy, from this fantasy side of things, Jared's upset that the Packers didn't get a receiver or a corner. 
I, I really – okay, corner, yeah. I don't see receivers as glaring need for them anymore. I know that it's not actually any different <laughs> this time a year ago. We, we have more information about Alan Lazard. Yes, and it's good information. Also, um, Markel's Vandalus Scantling took a step forward and became kind of the player that they were trying to get him to be the year before, but he kept dropping the damn football. Like, those two have elevated their play from a year ago. Plus, we saw that in terms of Aaron Rodgers – if Rodgers just goes back to playing the way he used to, receiver isn't that big of a problem anyway. I, Marquez Valdez-Scantling became the player I keep trying to draft in the first round. Yeah. He essentially, I mean, he's not the same size as Henry Ruggs or Jalen Waddell, but he became the legitimate deep threat who's a third option on the field or fourth option sometimes, but two or three times a game gets behind the defense and creates big plays. Mm -hmm. That is what, and, and that's extremely valuable, and I love that. Uh, Valdez, you could catch the ball a little bit better. But that's what I'm trying to draft in the first round with Jalen Waddle, with which Henry, is also, Henry Ruggs. Which is also basically my cautionary tale for why you're screwing it up. It's like, all right, if Henry Ruggs becomes Marquez Valdez-Scantling, where would you have liked to have drafted that? It's probably not 11 or 12 overall. But there's, but there's a chance it could become more. <laughs> yeah, that's, but that's my that's point. That's supposed to be the floor. Is how much of that chance, like how much are you basing all of this on that chance because it feels like a lot i don't know Valdez scantling is valuable to have man he's valuable to have so i went tevin jenkins because right now billy turner is slated as their starting right tackle mm -hmm. uh bakhtiari who did not die he didn't he tweeted at the packers hey i'm not dead tore his acl yes i only tore an acl so it, it, the packers put a picture of like getting ready for that 2021 season and they're showing all the packers players and right. bakhtiari's not there <laughs> so he tweeted at them said hey i'm still here guys uh -huh. so bakhtiari will be the starting left tackle at some point when he gets back off his his acl but right tackle's an issue in green bay tevin jenkins excellent right tackle um pretty good on true pass sets with a 90 plus grade and a powerful run blocker we mentioned vera tucker to the bills with with him i think he's he's instantly maybe your swing tackle uh they don't need a starting tackle but he could step right in at right guard yeah um and play and I mean, he would be, yeah, I think he'd be the starting guard and then the guy that when, if and when an injury a tackle, that, you know, they, maybe they reshuffle the line rather than just put in the next man up. Yeah, Vera Tucker could, could fill in in a pinch if needed. Um, the Chiefs pick, again, they've put themselves in a spot, right? Unless, and this, I preface this in the mock draft, unless there's a free agent signing on the horizon, whether it's Russell Okung, Villanueva, the Chiefs have to draft a left tackle here. So we talk about, you know, the trades within the division tend not to happen, right? Because right. obviously you don't want to help out a division rival. Are the Chiefs and the Ravens significant enough rivals that Baltimore would not trade and or Orlando Brown Jr. to Kansas City? Yes, I think so. You think so? Because that, I also, but that I also... is like a pick. I mean, that as a deal, if you take out the fact that those teams are likely to meet in the playoffs most years... That is a deal actually makes a ton of sense. 31 overall to Baltimore for Orlando Brown Jr., who wants to play left tackle. Comes in, becomes the Chiefs' starting left tackle, costs them 31 overall, which is a first-round pick, but, you know, a pretty low one. Right. And Baltimore gets a, a pick for a guy that doesn't want to be there or they, wouldn't, they don't want to pay or whatever it is. It, it makes sense for everybody except that these are two teams that anticipate meeting each other in the postseason most of the time. I, I don't think they trade with each other. Because the, you know the Chiefs are also saying, man, I'm giving we're giving the Ravens a first round pick and the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it could be a win win, but I, I think it's a good point. Yeah, the, it's it's like a division trade. They are expected to be facing each other in the playoffs every single season, as you said. So I don't 
it'd be a good fit other than the fact that it's the Chiefs and the Ravens, future rivals. So I got the Chiefs tell, taking Dylan Radons from North Dakota State. Um, Maybe the Packers would be in that mix as well in terms of throwing whatever it is, 29 at Baltimore. But then Orlando's got to play right tackle. That's true. But if you're trading for him, you're probably agreeing with a monster contract anyway. <sighs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to ask yourself, right, how wedded to that is he? It's like, yeah, I, I really want to play left tackle. It's like, okay, what but would you play want? right tackle for $80 million? Well, I, I could be persuaded. Uh, yeah, I don't know if the Packers can invest that much in the line either. Well, maybe Orlando. not, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the Orlando Brown thing. Again, I, if Villanueva is really visiting the Ravens and they're thinking about signing him, that must mean that an Orlando Brown trade is imminent. I'm assuming the Colts are the most likely play. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it means it's imminent necessarily, but I think it means it's definitely on the table. Well, Villanueva's not coming in to play guard. No, 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 but, I mean, he's not. he might not be coming in to sign. Like, it's a no, fact-finding mission as opposed to anything else. True. They could just be scouting the, uh, the hated Steelers too. Who knows? Former Steeler. And then the Bucks wrap it up at 32 overall with one of my favorite players in the draft, Elijah Molden, safety out of Washington. I've said he's a cross between Mike Hilton and Tyron Matthew. So it's not just a safety. It's a safety in a slot. So you've got Sean Murphy bunting uh, insurance in the slot with Elijah Molden. You've got Mike Edwards insurance at safety because he's been just okay. You know, safety is not the best position on the field for the Bucks. So you add some versatility to the secondary. And I keep looking at, in the short term, what's the worst-case scenario for the Bucs? It's that the secondary gets worse, right? Guys, they're all starters. They're all coming back. They've got some depth. But if those guys get worse, you want to mitigate some of that worst-case scenario with either adding to the secondary or adding to the receiving core. So going with Molden. Okay. Don't hate that. I mean, I think the Bucs are in this spot where, like, I don't want to say they can't make a bad pick because obviously you can just take some random third fourth rounder and draft him in the first round they're gonna take a running back you can go most places and not have too many problems they're gonna take a running back i don't well, okay maybe I, the, they did bring in geo bernard in the they even solved that issue they even solved the pass catching <laughs> running back yeah, before yeah. the draft they've got not with they the have one their we thought starters they their role players everything's filled going into the draft yeah not with the one we thought they would with james white it they wasn't go james back white, yeah. um if you were like handicapping the most likely teams to take a first rounder running back Pittsburgh, number one by a mile. I think Tampa Bay are probably as likely as anybody is to be the next one, and then you think Miami are going to do it, and there's just no way that's happening. I guarantee the Bucks looked at James White and said he does not run duo very well. And Geo does? I, I, think, I think James White is one of the worst, just pure I don't think runners of bad. the football in the NFL. No, that's he harsh. Is. No, he's not. He is. That's harsh. He doesn't break tackles. You know, if you get him into space, he just he picks up exactly what's there. You're I mean, calling him Thomas Jones. Light. As a pure Stop. runner of the football, when, when, when the ball's handed off to James White, he's not a very good running back. That's it. Now, it doesn't matter because, again, if it's, if it's blocked up, it could be 10 yards. Like, he had a 30-yard run in the Super Bowl against the Eagles a few years ago. That was perfectly blocked up. He runs into the secondary, runs in a straight line for 35 yards or whatever, and it's a touchdown. Like, fine. This is Again, this is why we say don't draft running backs because I don't think James White's a very good runner. Doesn't create after contact. Doesn't force missed tackles. What's his career yards per attempt? It's probably four and a half or whatever. I don't know <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, I was trying to look up how he does on, on duo, though. But I could see the Bucs looking at him and be like, we don't, we don't sign pass-catching running backs. We need a guy that does everything. Okay, but you just sign one. 
Gio can run, but I think Gio runs the ball a little bit better than him. Gio runs duo well. That's what you're. That's what you're rolling with. I got to look it up here. That's what I mean. That's just no. There's stop. a lot of pressure. Run stop. plays, run concept. Let's find. I should make a player. Uh, I can make a player list with Gio and. Oh, we really don't have time for this kind of crap. We don't. Uh, give me some filler to wrap it up here. Tell everybody about the promo code as we're wrapping up my uh, my podcast, my uh, my mock draft here. Yeah, what is our promo code? Draft thirty will get you thirty percent off any PFF subscription, and now's the time to get it. It is, you know, less than two weeks away from the start of the NFL draft. We're going to be here live doing the live show on PFF, but draft guide, all of the stuff we have on the website, all the stuff in the database. If you're going for uh, PFF Elite with premium stats um, or the college product. Get everything you want. Get 30% off at Draft 30. All right. Since 2017. Yes. James White running duo. 3.6 yards per attempt. Uh-huh. 55.8 grade. I, I sorted out just guys that have run this on the Bengals or the Patriots. He's the worst running back out of anybody that's run for the Bengals, the Bengals or the Patriots, or the Patriots over the Patriots. last couple of years. Gio Bernard, 66.2. He's seventh, small sample size, and he's 4.1 yards per attempt. So he's better. Marginally, if at all. Gio's better. <laughs> Gio's better at running duo, and that's what the Bucks need. I, I'm telling you, they looked, at, they looked at James White and said, no, can't have that guy. Hmm. He's not as versatile as Leonard Fournette. Oh, God. He's <laughs> not or Ronald Jones. Anyway, Gio Bernard is the pass-catching running back in there uh, uh, for the Bucks right now. Good show, man. That was fun. Everybody loved my uh, my mock draft. You remember uh, last year when there was all these images of Cliff Kingsbury and his fancy-ass Malibu beach house or whatever during the draft? You know, yeah. looking, all, looking all schlick, yeah. cool. Uh, the Rams have converted a Malibu beach house into their draft war room this year and will be operating. I wonder if Zach's there. Is he in the uh, the beach house war room? There's no way they invited Zach. <laughs> anyway, it's got some. It's got some pictures. It looks pretty good. They've, I got some other. I got a. They've got a rocket mortgage, uh, like ad sponsor in the pool. Yeah, yeah. Can we get? Can we get a beach house for the draft show we this got, year? We've got a rocket mortgage beach towel in addition to Rams logos everywhere. It looks pretty fancy. I'm gonna. Uh, that's a good war room. It actually looks a lot like the house that Kingsbury was in. Did they just rent his house? I bet they did. Look, I'm telling you, the NFC West is heated <laughs> right now. The, the, the Rams go and get Matthew Stafford. They're trying to, you know, keep up with the Kingsburys, with the house. Yeah. You know, the Niners are trading up to get a quarterback. And look, Seattle's got three whole draft picks to make. I mean, this it's is just, good. There's, there's Rocket Mortgage and Rams logos everywhere. It's, uh, it's pretty slick. Anyway, don't forget all of the uh, – oh, one more thing to mention here. Our friends over at DraftKings, Masvidal. And Usman, they put on a show last time they stepped into the octagon. Round two is sure to pack a punch. DraftKings Sportsbook is the official sports betting partner of USC, putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 26 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Is this real? Uh, don't worry if MMA isn't for you. Just listen up. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. So download the top-rated sportsbook, DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $5 into $130 if the title contender of your choice wins, it's all you have to do. Sign up, put in five, turn it into 130 if your guy wins. Place your bet, watch the fist fly this weekend. It's promo code PFF to turn $5 into $130 if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 
And of course, I need to tell you, you must be 21 or older in New Jersey, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm a professional. Your terms and conditions voice is just coming on leaps and bounds. Am I the best I'm, in the I'm company? I'm really impressed. I, I wouldn't go that far. I heard George on the radio the other day coming in after a Chris ad, and it was just, it was masterful. But you're getting there. I mean, that you're... You're chasing down the king right now. As I'm, a just, terms and I'm just excited guy. that we've tapped into George's versatile skill set as our terms and conditions guy. You hear him on our Western and Southern ad as well. Anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We're going to be back on Thursday. Are we doing a live mock this week? Uh, I don't know. We I might do know. a live mock maybe this week or next Monday. But thanks for tuning in. We'll be back Thursday and Friday. More NFL draft action. Don't forget, draft 30, draft 30 at PFF.com. Go get your draft guide. See you guys.